The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. Hello and welcome to the Doctor Who pod and it's guest day and as always we bloody love guest day and when I say we obviously I refer to your hosting duo my name is Cy and with me as always is my partner in time Mr Dan Griffin. Dan how you doing sir? I'm all right I'm a little all over the shop as I was saying pre-record I was at the uh, I was at the boxing last night and also watching the football in uh, in Leeds Arena so there was a fair bit of beer drunk I got back quite late and as we all know I'm shit on a hangover but I'll power through as I always do how are you doing mate yeah not too bad mate not too bad excited to get into talking a little bit of Colin Baker with our guest today our friend from Twitter uh, AB Addison how are you I am doing well. Uh, thank you very much. I am the uh, what feels like the only Colin Baker fan on Twitter. So uh, <laughs> I, I'm glad to come in and play the part of uh, uh, defending lawyer for uh, for poor Colin here. Uh, actually, this is the one Colin Baker series up until now I had not seen. Okay. Because uh, in the U.S., uh, we had to rely on uh, showing my age here. Had to rely on VHS tapes to get to, or just our public television stations. Uh, American folks will understand that. Um, and so there's a lot of tape trading, and I could never get Mark of the Ronnie and the official release in America, even in the year I think it was 2000 on eBay, was going for around seventy-five to a hundred dollars. Wow. It is still a very expensive VHS tape, apparently, to this day. Um, why this one, I couldn't tell you. Maybe they just didn't expect a lot of people to buy it, and I perhaps would not blame them. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get to that, as I'm sure, as we go through the show. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, before we dive on into to the story and the doctor and so on that, that you've chosen for us today, uh, I suppose it, w- it would be remiss of us to not ask you the normal questions we do with regards to when we have a guest on. Uh, how did your Doctor Who fandom first begin? How did you discover this this crazy world of this you know nine hundred year old alien in a little blue box? And I suppose favorites, favorite doctors, favorite companions, and so on as well. Oh, absolutely. Um, so. Uh, especially in the U.S. and especially for the classic series, uh, it was very, it was very difficult uh, unless you watched, like I said, PBS. That was our only outlet, uh, which is a uh, public broadcasting. It's the only free channel, quote unquote, free channels that you can get or you could get. Obviously, this is over twenty years ago. Sadly for me to say, I was in high school. Um, <laughs> And I had a friend 
Uh, I will, I'll just simply call him Chris and go from there because there's a lot of Chris's. That's a common name. Uh, I had a friend, Chris, who every time I went to go hang out with him was just like dead set in getting me into any and all of his hobbies, of which he had many. Um, so through Chris is how I learned about, say, Marvel Comics. Uh, through Chris is how I learned about Star Wars and how I don't like it. I'm sure I'm going to get hate in the comments for that. Oh, I'm not a massive um, fan myself, so yeah, I'm with you on that. <laughs> I'll, I'll, just, I'll just sit quiet in the corner. um and then he got me to watch uh i forget the first tapes but um he came from a rather affluent family and he had a good 70 to 80 doctor who vhs tapes from bbc video um all of them official uh and this is at a time when vhs tapes uh were like 20 30 us dollars uh, brand new. It was, it was brutal. So, like, it, it costs a lot. And uh, he gave me sort of like a, it was almost like homework. I remember being interested because I always found, I do like sci-fi. I like Star Trek. I like um, other things that aren't Star Wars. Um, <laughs> and uh, actually, uh, the reason I kind of became interested in Doctor Who and why I asked him if I could borrow some tapes is because I was a massive fan of another British show, Red Dwarf. Okay, yeah. And so I thought, well, if Red Dwarf's good, I know this one is, like, kind of more serious, but let me give this a try. And uh, he let me uh, what he thought were, the were like, the best series of uh, the... Th- uh, Pertwee, the third, fourth, fifth, and sixth, and seventh Doctor. So third on. I guess he didn't think I'd like black and white. Um, <laughs> and so he gave me like one tape of each, and like every day I watched one of them, and I was just like, wow, this is awesome. I actually like this. And then uh, I realized that PBS was airing it, and so I got to watch episodes on PBS. And then I started doing tape trading uh, once I got access to the internet when I was in uh, grade 10. And then uh, I just amassed this massive collection of uh, recorded VHS tapes from other states in America. And we like I would be like, I have this series. And somebody would say, I don't. And so you'd have your two VCR set up, record it over, send them the tape that send you the one that you wanted. Um, first one I ever got in the mail, I'll never forget, was... Uh, uh, except I'm going to forget the title of it. It was the Sylvester McCoy one with the uh, the circus. Greatest show in the galaxy. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, wow, that scared the crap out of me, even as a teenager. Um, and then I was just, I, I was off to the races. I was writing fanfics, thankfully none of them online. I wrote fanfics <laughs> about the Doctor being, like, tra- uh, uh, regenerating, except becoming a time lady. Which was obviously multiple decades before Jodie Whittaker actually did it. Um, I'm sure I wasn't the first one to come up with that concept, but you know, it was 1998, whatever. Um, yeah, and that's that's how I got into it. Uh, I immediately fell in love with Colin Baker as the Doctor. Uh, the fact that he was he, I also like the first Doctor, and I like the fact that they're both kind of acidic, standoffish, because yeah. the. The Doctor is meant to be alien. We're meant to not necessarily understand that's what the companions are for. 
to ask the questions that we, the audience, want to know. And, uh, well, I mean, that and Nicola Bryant as Pervigillian Brown. Uh, um, yeah, I may have a small, massive crush on Nicola Bryant and Pervigillian Brown. And, uh, yeah, she was, she was one of my first uh, examples of do I want to look like her or do I just want to date her? It's a, it's a very confusing thing when, <laughs> <laughs> when you're yeah. a big scale. So, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of how I got into Doctor Who. I'm a big fan of just the 80s doctors in general. Of course, Tom Baker's, Tom Baker and John Pertwee are both amazing. And I certainly like a different series of the two. Um, but there's something about the 80s. Maybe it's my 80s nostalgia. Uh, I even wrote in my notes at one point where there's a, a very heavy synth background music near the start of the first episode on this serial. And, uh, like, it's, I don't know, just that synthesizer sound and the way they did the theme music, uh, both fifth and sixth, and then the change with the seventh doctor, the uh, the start of using computer graphics in order to make the uh, the opening uh although i think i think it was still practical until sylvester mccoy i could be wrong on that but uh just that whole era of doctor who is definitely my favorite but colin baker mostly most of all i watched trial of a time lord way too many times and i am hoping that david tennant is actually going to turn out to be the valyard i'm that weird okay interesting <laughs> <laughs> I will smile and nod because I've never watched any of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big feature of of our show, AB. If, if, as you've heard episodes in the past mm. and so on, is that Dan's not really seen masses of classic Who, and I've kind of dipped in and out of of new Who. So it's kind of like, especially the first season of our show, we were very much sort of introducing each other to the different aspects, I guess. Oh yes, and I I love the fact that any any sort of a podcast or video series where somebody's kind of being introduced into the world. It's always fascinating to see what, um, I hate to use the word outsider, but you do have a Wolfpack NWO shirt. So maybe it is a, an accurate, uh, word mm -hmm. to use. Uh, but you know, uh, it's always interesting to see how an outsider sees the things that some of us, uh, grew up and enjoyed over multiple years and probably, uh, a little too deeply in some cases. Uh, certainly not myself. I'm not talking about myself at all. <laughs> it blows my mind as well. There's, there was a whole like tape trading scene around Doctor Who. Like, obviously, we all, you know, there was a big tape trading wrestling scene, uh, a big wrestling tape trading scene uh, over oh, in yes. the UK. You know, it's, it just blows my mind that there's that, there's that um, in you know over there for for this show about a madman in a blue box. Yeah. Oh, I I was like hand like I hand drawn the logos on the 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 end label that you could put on there. Like I would hand draw the and it would be the correct Doctor Who logo for the correct series. And I was super Brilliant. super nerdy about it. And so uh, if anybody you know if anybody got uh, is listening to this from America and you got Doctor Who tapes and tape trading, it might have been for me, especially if it was from New Hampshire. I don't That's there, so I don't mind saying it. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. I've, I always find it really interesting whenever we speak to somebody who is not in the UK. 
about how they discovered this because it's uh, granted it's, it's it's like an international product especially now isn't it it's all over the mm-hmm. place and and oh, even, yeah. with classic who as well it was you know they're finding episodes in like a, a basement in nigeria that they thought they'd lost these episodes to and all this sort of stuff so it's you know obviously an international thing even back then but i still find it fascinating hearing how people discovered the show living overseas because even though it is this this worldwide phenomenon now I still think it's incredibly British, especially the classic who, when you see certain, you know, certain mannerisms, certain terms they use. I mean, this story that you've chosen for us today, that the Mark of the Rani is even more so that I think, because we've got so many references to, well, kind of where you're from, Dan, isn't it? That, that, it's it's a little further north than me, um, but there is a lot of uh, a lot of old Yorkshire and old northeastern uh, northeast of England speak in this. I did figure that I was going to have to be sort of the uh, the translator of uh, of oh, a lot of this because a lot of it's um, you know a lot of it's um, what is it what what's what's that one where's that going you know. I, 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 Happen I might just do with that, you know, things like that. So I didn't know. Yeah. I was actually more worried about sight, to be honest, uh, than, <laughs> than AB, but we'll see how we go. Fair enough. And that's, that's a, you know, a, a very legitimate concern. I get confused with just, you know, talking to my wife. Never mind, uh, you know, people with different accents. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, I mean, you mentioned the, the intro there, AB, and the graphics and so on. I've said to you before, Dan, haven't I, when we've looked at Peter Davidson and the Colin Baker stories in, in the past for the podcast, I bloody love this intro with the sort of star rainbow bits flying back and forth and the music. And I, I, this, this to me reminds me of being a kid and watching that, that VHS tape of the five doctors I had over and over and over again. And that was the intro that I, I remember from being younger, you know? I, I was just clapping because I was just like, oh, the five doctors is it's one of my favorite episodes of all time. It's I I wore out I think my tape of the five doctors and then had to tape trade another one. <laughs> <Brilliant>. <laughs> we covered that for the show, didn't we, Dan? Yes, yeah, last uh, season two. Yeah, because yeah, it, it was one of the that and the three doctors, um, the sort of two episodes that were my points of reference for majority of classic who, um, apart from Sylvester McCoy's cameo in uh, in the movie. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. And uh, you know, you say, you say about being sort of the, the defense lawyer for for Colin Baker. I, I, I'm I'm very much the defense lawyer for the uh, for the Doctor Who movie, with uh, where Sylvester McCoy regenerates into Paul McGann because that was my introduction into Doctor Who, and I, I still adore it, even though I know some of it is quite objectively crap. Well, that is interesting. <laughs> a, a fan of the TV movie of the Paul McGann one. Um, it get, it gets a lot of. It gets a lot of crap from the fandom. Uh, I'm very neutral on it, but uh, the the one part that only the one part that angered me about the TV movie, and then they retcon. Well, they didn't retcon it, but they just kind of changed the doctor in the new series. Was the doctor kissing his companion? I was like, no, the doctor doesn't isn't attracted to anyone, but that, that's not something <laughs> the doctor does. And then we get the new Doctor Who and the Doctor and Rose, and it's just like, well, you know what? Fuck it. <laughs> uh, I'm not a big fan. Quite, quite literally. It, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that gets on my nerves as well. The the whole romance aspects with the different companions and so on. I'm not I'm, I'm not a fan of that. But you, I mean, you, just, you just don't like seeing someone that close to Clara. Well, this is true. 
this is true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that is a fair. That's that's extremely fair. Clara is gorgeous. She is indeed. She is indeed. Even my wife rolls her eyes just at the mention of her name now. So <laughs> Oh, it's, about that, it's about that funny noise you make as you clutch your crotch that's the uh, the problem. Well, it's like it's like reenacting that Lonely Island video. <laughs> anyway, shall we talk a little bit of Colin Baker then? I think uh, we this, probably should. <laughs> this serial here first aired in February of 1985, and it's I suppose it's not a common one for us, Dan, is it? Because of how all the other series are structured. This is a two-parter but 45 minutes-ish long per episode. Now, we've watched a couple like this already for the show, but it's not a common sort of uh, structure for the episodes that we kind of go back and watch. But I kind of like that. Yeah, I did. Um, like I said, a bit different, because, you know, we've we've had four parts of, of, you know, 25 minutes each. We've had, well, well somebody picked a 10-parter. I didn't, didn't know. Because he didn't do his research. Like a dick. Um, All right. War <laughs> games? Yeah. Yes. Ooh. I was like, how many other 10 parters are there? There is actually, there's a 12 parter with under, um, with William Hartnell that if a lot, if the majority of it exists, we're contemplating doing something with as like a whole season or half a season, something like that down the line. Uh, um, I'll, I'll happily listen to that one. Dalek's master plan, I think that one is, isn't it? Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, but back to the format of this one, yeah, it was it was quite nice to uh, to go back to go, go back to this because we've covered um, the Christopher Eccleston two parter that puts the shits up me, uh, the lonely child and the doctor dances, and uh, we did more recently did the Zygon invasion, Zygon inversion uh, with uh, with Sarah. That was uh, yep. that was the same format, and that's all I can remember off the top of my head. Mm. But yeah, so nice little, uh, nice little diversion into something like this, and uh, immediately I felt at home as it, um, you know, as it started because there was, uh, it's a little mining village in the north of England, which is, uh, you know, sort of around uh, around my area, a lot of history, history surrounding that. Um, <laughs> did you guys get from from context as we see the the miners, you know, sort of finishing work for the day? Did you understand what they meant by? By the, uh, what he meant by saying, I've got, I've got no strength to lift a Toby. Is a Toby like a beer jug? So that's size first instinct, and I'm not surprised. Uh, AB, did uh, did you get from context what he meant? So uh, I'm not going to lie. I have here at <sighs> 10 minutes and 42 seconds into the first episode where I finally go, I give up. I cannot understand the miners at all. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant! <laughs> I felt the same. I felt the same. <laughs> I'm, I'm not alone. Uh, that's good. And I'm there merrily typing away, just going, "Oh yeah, I understand all this." Like because it was like listening to me, granddad. Um, but no, basically saying that he doesn't, he, he doesn't even have the strength to lift a beer. So I si was right. Um, See, I was thinking and, of like Toby Bitter, or like the to- is the Toby like the the sort of um, chai thing, jug thing. Are you thinking of Toby Calvary? No, not Toby Carvey. <laughs> Toby Bitter. There's a bitter called Toby, isn't there? Or am I, have I just made that up? Oh, they might be down your way. I've not, not a clue. Um, but anyway, we're getting diverted. Um, but they're, they're going to the bathhouse to get cleaned up. And I have to say, shirts and waistcoats are pretty fancy mining gear. Yeah. But, yeah. You know, it's what was available, I suppose. But immediately we've got smoke in the room and they choke and pass out. And it was quite dramatic, really. 
Yeah, quite uh, a big opening, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and then immediately with the Doctor and Perry. Ah, Perry. Um, ah, Perry. <laughs> stop it. You're, stop it. You're, you're only allowed to do that for Clarissa. You, you, you... <laughs> you get Clara, I get Perry, everyone's happy. Fair enough. Dan, Except you get K9. <laughs> oh, wow. Ouch. I had, about, I had about 16 different bestiality jokes go through my head then, and not one of them could get out of my brain. Oh, for goodness sake. Let's move on, shall we, before you get us cancelled. <laughs> you started it. <laughs> you started I, it. Um, and not me, but I will say that I may have had some punchlines as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's okay. I am the punchline in this situation. Um, but we're with the Doctor and Perry at the controls and the Doctor saying they're being manoeuvred off course. And I... I quite liked the Doctor taking exception to uh, the suggestion that the TARDIS is malfunctioning. Because even in the episodes we've seen, it's a bit of a feature of this era, as far as I can see. But you can tell me if I'm right or wrong in that assumption. Uh, That, especially in the Colin Baker episodes, uh, I I think you guys covered the Cybermen episode, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, where Colin Baker's doctor tries to repair the chameleon unit. And yeah. as they exit the TARDIS, it is a different, like every time the TARDIS is seen, it's a different item. And it's just so jarring. Basically, Colin Baker's entire run, uh, save for the Trial of the Time Lord, which is an entire season, um, he is trying to sneakily repair the TARDIS. And yeah, he takes great exception anytime Perry goes. Uh, are you sure the TARDIS isn't working right? Uh, it, it, is this what it's supposed to be doing? And it, yeah, he gets very uh, petulant, I believe would be a good descriptor. Yeah, I'd, I'd go along with that. It's um, it's a funny thing. I, I'll be honest, Colin Baker is growing on me the more, the more that we watch. Um, <laughs> I, I, I really didn't like him when we did Attack of the Cybermen. I was like, okay, this is every, this is everything everybody said it'd be. Um I actually really liked Vengeance on Varos um, in our second season. Mm. Um, although it was quite Doctor Light, so he didn't have he didn't have chance to wind me up. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in this one, there's a there's a, there's a bit more of the sort of I don't know, he's he can just be very sort of snippy and snarky and, and shitty. Especially to Perry, even though he does all, you know, ultimately show that he does, re- he does really care for her, mm. and it's just like, just sometimes he just needs to be told to wind his neck in and just shut up, just shut up for a second. <laughs> he's he's very braggadocious, and uh, that might just be another reason why I like him. Uh, I don't know. I've uh, I've, I've certainly had a uh, poor taste in uh, past dating experiences, so maybe that extends <laughs> to my choice of the doctor. Um, I just wanted to jump in real quick uh, mm. with the first thing I noticed on the opening sequence. Uh, I immediately have a question. How many bakers have worked on Doctor Who? You have Tom and Colin who have been doctors, but this was written by Pip and Jane Baker. And oh, I went, yeah. you gotta be kidding me. Like how many how many bakers are it's is this like a family thing? Even though most of them aren't related, I'm sure. 
But uh, I just, that just something that kind of struck me as a funny aside at the beginning. But yeah. uh, anyways, um, I was also wondering, why is Perry already in period accurate garb at the start of the TARDIS uh, scene? Like, I, I, I guess... Did, <laughs> Because the plot, ne- the plot needed it to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, true. And also running around with that, as much as she does, I have to give her massive credit. Because running in heels is not fun. Um, Apparently she was in a lot of pain as well in the making of this story. Because the, the actress Nicola Bryant had hurt her neck quite badly. Uh, I don't know if it was... I, I, I want to say it was from... Sh- she'd slept funny and had pulled a muscle in her neck. Or, I'm, I'm not 100% sure of the details, but she'd hurt her neck quite badly and apparently was in a neck brace for a lot of the time that the cameras were not rolling. So the fact that she's wearing that, you know, quite, you know, I suppose difficult to maintain outfit and running back and forth on some pretty slippy surfaces as well, when you think about it, like mm. when they're going through the woods and so on. Now that sort of, you know, I think that's that's even more spectacular really considering she was in pain the whole time yeah that, that makes, makes yeah sorry a big call oh no i was just saying wow the it just the absolute commitment to it yeah i gotta respect that yeah because yeah because that shit does not look comfortable no <laughs> at all <laughs> um, but moving on with the uh with the tardis the doctor's immediately correcting uh, perry's grammar um by whom and then calls her obtuse for asking if he can fix it um and he can't uh, they're calling call, call it a time distortion as if there's a time machine nearby and the kind of teases with it being a, you know it could be a time lord it could be dalek or it could be another alien on earth and we cut back to the bathhouse for a brief second and there's goons in gas masks, so I was thrilled. <laughs> um, if I don't know, I don't know if you caught it, but with them, the uh, the Eccleston two-parter with the lonely child and the Are you my oh, mummy? Uh, right. That actually that actually inspired a full-blown fear of gas masks uh, for me. <laughs> oh no! Then this is not a great. E- I am sorry. This is not a good episode for you. <laughs> uh, it's the thing fine. is, you you weren't aware when you chose this. When I chose yeah. when I chose that Eccleston two parter, I was fully aware what I was doing. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I just wanted True to friendship. put me through hell. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd feel weird if one of us wasn't trying to fuck the other one over. <laughs> <laughs> but the Doctor and Perry have landed, and they're in the grounds of uh, they're in the ground mining grounds in the village, and it looks a little bit like a quarry. So I suppose you can chalk that off on your Doctor Who bingo cards. Yes, um, they love a quarry. Yeah. They love a quarry. Yeah, and this is when Perry reveals that they were actually supposed to be going to Kew Gardens, uh, which is a, a botanical gardens that's been open for God knows how long. So they may have been going there in you know roughly that time. Mm. If you know, if, if I want to really explain it away, um, <laughs> uh, that, that would explain the dress. I I missed the Kew Gardens line, but also probably would not have picked up on it, uh, not having any clue what it is. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely fine. Like I said, I'm, I, I, I live in England. I only found out what Kew Garden was. Gardens was about five years ago. Huh? I'm just like I'd, I'd heard the name, but I'd never actually looked into it. Um, but the doctor, this has actually got me with uh, with Baker here saying that, well, Cole's just fossilized plant life, you know. <laughs> it's, uh, it's like been it's like been promised a steak and been given like a cooked flip flop with the same sauce on it. Um, it's just Perry just admiring the, uh, the the sun, dust, and, and mud on her shoes as well. It's just 
it's just great. He's there trying to make the best of it. It's like, yeah, this is awful. No, you thank got, you. When you had that moment, when she's looking at like the dirt on her shoes and so on, and they kind of zoomed in, didn't they, a little bit? I don't know why. I don't know if it's because I'm watching it on this tiny little portable TV in the bedroom and the whatever. I don't know what it was. But I initially thought that she was wearing Wellington boots that had heels. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know. I don't know why, because that's, that's ridiculous. But I thought she had wellies on that had heels on. And I was like, that's, that's silly. And obviously, after I noticed they weren't that. But yeah. And, it just, and you saying that just reminded me of like the mocked up um, Crocs with heels on as well, like stiletto Crocs. Oh, dear. My my middle daughter, who normally is incredibly uh, up on her labels and fashion and so on, has just discovered that she adores Crocs. So, yeah, she can't mock me ever again for my bad jogging bottoms. <laughs> no, no, there's no excuse for Crocs. I'm sorry. I'm not fashionable, but I, no. <laughs> no, I'm not a fan myself. <laughs> I, gonna, I wear a pair in the garden and that to walk down the garden to the bar and that's it. When when uh, when my girlfriend listens to this, if that Crocs line is in there, I am going to hear. I am going to be hearing from her. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, and just like that, so I will keep it. In. Oh, cool. <laughs> 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 um, so yeah, the then the track and the time distortions. You know, Doctor's got a uh, a little wee wee beep boop device, and he tells Perry to hoist up a skirt, and away we go. No, do you fancy going into the TARDIS and changing into something easier to manoeuvre? He just fucks right off. He's he's away, and he? he's gone. <laughs> Completely focused, doesn't care. Yeah, the, very the doctor, very doctory. Yeah, especially this Doctor. He uh, uh, to use a phrase that is more like hyper local here. Um, he toddles off quite a bit, yeah. uh, as as if like a toddler and seeing a shiny object to play with. Off he goes. He's just, it, it, and you just you just got to run and catch up. And that is, uh, uh, I, I do wonder if uh, that is why Perry's replacement replacement uh, companion was a character that was a fitness freak. Uh, because that would explain why she would be able to keep up to him because he's slow. <laughs> they sat down and thought, what's the primary aspect that this new this new companion needs? Cardio. <laughs> literally putting the putting Colin Baker's doctor on a uh, exercise bike and making him drink carrot juice. I believe that's your first introduction to her. It's it uh Mel Bush. No good. That's right, yeah. I look forward to that then. I've never, <laughs> never seen it. I feel like I feel like Sino when he's asked about any movie. That's why I ain't seen that. Oh, I haven't seen a lot now. <laughs> <laughs> and then we we cut to what is a bizarre scene at first because the miners from before are having some sort of towel fight in the bathhouse. But thank you for bringing this up because I have in my notes for for me it was five minutes on the dot in. I wrote down. Do guys actually slap each other with towels like this in changing rooms or locker rooms? Is no. this like a is this a thing? Not in England. Oh, I've never done that. I have I have towel I have towel whipped someone, but it was to put them off a phone call. Okay. <laughs> I was I was at university. We spent most of the time drunk. It seemed like the thing to do. Oh, okay. Oh uh, well, okay. Yeah. That's what it was. <laughs> but then the, these miners leave the bathhouse. They're, they're kind of having a real fight. Uh, the, the kicker kid, 
Yeah, um, that was a bit out of the blue. <laughs> they just, just run over and give this kid a bit of a wallop. Yeah. Yeah, just a, just a, a slight sprinkling of child abuse to uh, to <laughs> enhance the story. <laughs> well, I mean, they have, they have child labor going on throughout the story, and you see it. And the doctor pat very close to the end of the series, he pats one of the kids on the head. Yeah. It's just like, yep, you you go ahead, little six year old, continue doing your extremely hard labor. But that's <laughs> historically accurate. <laughs> To be yeah, honest, true. there was, you know, there's all sorts of stories from people of, you know, my granddad's generation where they say, you know, a common phrase of where I am and, and a bit further north, I was down pits when I was 13, you know, or sometime even younger where they were just taken out of school and put to work in mines because the family couldn't afford anything. They needed every, all the money coming in that they could. Yeah. And like I said, that was going on until the until the early early 20th century, so crazy when you think about it isn't it you know oh, yeah. I, I suppose dying in other parts of the country as well i mean it's, it's crazy talking like this as well uh ab because we're such a tiny little island in in sort of the, the big scheme of things we're, we're an incredibly small place but going a hundred miles north it's like a completely different world so where you got where dan lives and you've got the mines and so on if you head more towards say london which how many miles from from you are, are, is london dan uh, oh, good question. Never actually tied it up. Uh, it's a couple hundred. Yeah, so it's, you know, to us it's a big distance, but to people who live in the states who travel these vast distances between you know places and so on, it's probably nothing. Now, it, but in in London, they'd be doing child labour and so on as well because there was no mines there. They were all sent up and down the bloody chimneys, weren't they? And into the factories, workhouses. Yeah, yeah, it was. And that's. That's how you get the classic image of the child who's a chimney sweep, which That's is yep. a very iconic image even over here. Um, no, nobody spoke like um, Dick Van Dyke and Mary Poppins, though. <laughs> Don't you ruin that for me. <laughs> <laughs> nobody, nobody has ever once said silhouette. <laughs> that's, that's not what part of uh, one of the 20, what, 27, 28 accents in England? There's loads. There's about seventeen just in Yorkshire. <laughs> I, one day I will visit. Uh, uh, you guys do have, a, despite your reputation, some uh, amazing food, and I will be bringing an empty suitcase just so I can smuggle home a suitcase full of Branston pickle because ah, that stuff is delicious. Yes, yes, lovely stuff. There may be a north-south divide, but we all love Branston. Um, <laughs> Excellent. If, if you're in the north, if you're ever in, the, if you're ever in the northwest of England as well, you need to go, uh, need to go get yourself a Wigan kebab, which is a, uh, a steak pie in a in a sandwich. Oh, the the fat kid in me loves the idea of that. It's it's just it's carbs on carbs, and then just meat and gravy in the middle. All all your necessary food groups right there in one shot. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> anyway, speaking of food, back to the story. They uh, they also start chucking uh, potatoes around that were cooking on the uh, cooking on like an open grill. Um, yeah, they're so, a bit larky this lot, aren't they? Yeah, they've they got they got a in the bonnet about something. Um, but then we cut back to the doctor and Perry, and Perry's sort of saying about how the hedges will be gone in the twentieth century for farming efficiency, and saying about how her generation is sort of environmentally conscious. Um, various species of butterflies and birds are going extinct and that was a very sort of poignant prophecy I suppose if you want or look to the future because obviously we're here we are in the early 
you know, early 20th century, uh, sorry, early 21st century, and people are a lot more environmentally conscious. You might be about 100 years out, but, you know, it's definitely a look to the future that I thought was quite uh, quite good. I have that but, in my notes as well, where uh, along with saying that I, I don't know where in America Perry is going for, but it's it's still a very good American accent. Um, and also that she is shockingly accurate about the tree destruction and climate change effects. I was like, wow, this is almost 40 years ago. Like, yeah, you nailed it, Perry. You weren't wrong. Yeah. Yes, indeed. I mean, with regards to that area, then we're talking there about how things will look in the future from Perry's standpoint with regards to, you know, as you said, done changing things for farming efficiency and so on. This, this is very much a great deal of this is spent outside, isn't it? Apart from mm. when they're in the bathhouse and, and the Rani's Tardis and so on, there's a great deal of this is spent outside in quite scenic areas. And it's, you know, devised to be looking like the 1800s. What did you two think of the the areas they were filming in, the layout, how it looked visually? Because a lot of it, again, is also in daylight, which you don't get much of now with class, sorry, with New Who. Because when bad stuff goes down, it tends to be at night, doesn't it, as a stereotype? So <laughs> That's true. It was, um, when you put it like that, it was quite a refreshing change of pace. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was nice to be able to see everything clearly, which I know is something uh, whenever they wanted to emphasize, say, a horror of an episode, even in Classic Who, they, they would avoid that. Um, and one thing that struck me is that, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seemed like the bathhouse was actually a real building they if not they made it look very very good because uh like it went up two floors and you could see the window that was bringing the sunlight in from uh the large open area where the baths were and i kept on i, I was almost distracted by that as if like it was like are they feel like wait a minute i'm just realizing Outside, the bathhouse is clearly a one-floor-high building. Yeah, plus the inside of those buildings at that time would have would buy would no way have walls that smooth. Mm. It, it's just the, the inside is 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 definitely a set because you know up this way I've seen like preserved um, houses and recreated houses of that period, and there would have been for just a bathhouse for workers, there would not have been that level of of effort into maintaining the interior wall. <laughs> yeah, and the floor. And the floor, <laughs> For no yeah. reason. Where it was filmed, a lot of these sort of um, outdoor scenes and so on, it is still there. It's um, like a Victorian setting, a Victorian outdoor museum. You can oh, visit. Is it, is it, is it Beamish? Uh, Blist's Hill, I think it is. And there's another one called Coalport. I've uh, not heard of either of them. In, I think it was Talford was the area that I looked at. I've not actually got it in front of me right now, but yeah, it was it was two separate locations that had like these historic um, settings that you know people film in, obviously. But it's also a museum. You can you can go and pay your money to walk around the 1800s, so to speak. So that's why they used this for that that particular setting. Oh, so you said Telford? I think so. Um, yeah, so yeah, Telford, Telford's more uh, Midlands way then. Blists Hill Victorian Town I have here is where it was filmed. An open-air museum built on a former industrial complex located in the area of Telford, Shropshire. 
and it tries to recreate the sights, sounds, and smells of Victorian Shropshire in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. See, that's that last part's where you lose me when it says about smells, because where I live, there's a lot of Viking history as well, and we have the Yorvik Viking Centre that is the same thing. It's, it's built to look and look, sound, and smell like the period, and and mm. let me tell you, the, the Vikings stunk. Yeah, it just smells like <laughs> shit, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> We, we actually have we have something similar uh uh at least where uh I grew up in the states I'm originally Canadian but I've spent most of my life in the states um there's a place called Strawberry Bank in a in a town called Portsmouth New Hampshire mm-hmm. and it is it, it does not recreate the smells thankfully but otherwise is <laughs> very similar but it uh it, it goes back to colonial life and it's just mm-hmm. always uh, you know, back when it was the colonies, and it, it's sort of that type of recreation and museum and uh, period accurate foods and whatnot. Of course, I remember the foods, but uh, yeah, luckily they they uh, they skipped the smell part for us. Um, I, would, I would recommend it if only for that. Fair enough. Um, so we're saying about the um, sort of signs and how about uh, that happens at least once a show as well. Um, yeah. I, I trip over my own song. <laughs> so another sort of feature of the times is uh, is an old scarecrow stuck in a field. And in my notes, I've made my, made myself look stupid. Uh, so I'll share it with you because in my head, that's Baines from the uh, uh, from the family of Blood Two Parter that we looked at with uh, with Gary last season. And then I realised that Baines was put there about a hundred years after. <laughs> <laughs> okay. After all of this, but I've managed to justify it because he was basically just stuck in time, just stood there. And in my head, initially, I thought, well, that only happens going forward. Then, but what if it means stuck in time? If he's a fixed point, that means he's there in the past too. So it could still be Baines. Um, I just love the uh, the camera shot over the uh, over the scarecrow's shoulder, and as the Doctor and Perry move on, the scarecrow's head moved. Yes. I, for a second, and this is probably, uh, no, what's the name? Um, my brain immediately went to, (laughs) now is, I want to say it's Wurzel Gummidge. Yes. That's right, yeah. (laughs) Also played by John Pertwee. Um, which honestly, I will admit, I have never seen. But uh, it's a running gag in the OSW review. And so I've seen a lot of John Pertwee as Orzel Gummidge because they, uh, anytime Rene Goulet as a backstage hand comes out, they call him Orzel Gummidge. Oh, and- completely unfair. Rene Goulet had majestic hair. <laughs> 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 on my other on my other podcast, uh, unbooking the territory, we actually we give um, where appropriate we give sort of haircut of the night awards, and we call it the Rene Goulet Award for outstanding haircut of the night. <laughs> <laughs> that is beautiful. Yeah, just just purely because he was all we uh, we me and Rob did um, uh, quite a few episodes of that nineties wrestling podcast, and obviously at that time he had Rene Goulet always coming out as one of the agents effectively to break things up except he never yeah. actually did anything he just stood there with his luscious locks and then posed <laughs> the, the hair he did have was very supple very shiny mm. um he he clearly took care of it even if he had a page boy haircut um <laughs> <laughs> Oh, 
Oh God! We best get this. Uh, we best get this story moving along. We keep getting sidetracked, yeah, which again is a is a feature of the show. Oh, good because uh, I thought it was just me. I am I am Miss Tangent. I just go off on pull me back if I go too far. Just we we one step went down a rabbit hole that I can't remember if it made it to air on the outtakes. When me and Sam went down the whole thing of trying to imagine what each doctor sounds like when they come. So you know. <laughs> If we if we can toss that, I'll be impressed. Yeah, that was in the outtakes. I, do, I don't I don't have my camera on. Well, I don't have a camera on this machine, but I'm I'm very glad that I don't. The face I just made, as you said, <laughs> how each doctor would sound when they come. That's just yep. I. My brain is going to obsess about that now. Now <laughs> I'm going to be thinking about that. That's you have spread the disease. <laughs> Oh, we well, broke. We broke Dan now. <laughs> oh, well, was, all you have to do. It was, all you have to, it was the noises. It was the noises that uh, William Hartnell was like. Mm, yeah. Mm. <laughs> well, if you ever want to hear what the the Tom Baker sounds like, you just have to go to the Italian Doctor Who porno that he was in as the Doctor. Real story. Yes. Yeah, and there's the. It pulls out the phone. <laughs> yes, I have heard of this. Yes, it's. Uh... <laughs> That is the bizarre. I've only seen a clip. It is the most bizarre thing I've seen in quite some time, though. Yeah, oh, it's a strange universe, isn't if it? We, uh, if we, if we, <laughs> I know what we're doing for our 69th episode. <laughs> <laughs> can I put Can I put money in a pot or something to make that happen? <laughs> <laughs> That'll be a show where. We'll probably have eight minutes of content and 75 <laughs> minutes of outtakes at the end. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, God, we could, we could, we could genuinely, we could review it blow for blow. Um, literally. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> anyway. anyway. Uh, the, uh, the three, <laughs> gone from talking about a porno to talking about three blokes and a horse. Um, <laughs> The uh, the three lads from the bathhouse uh, come across a God. (laughs) (laughs) Phrasing, phrasing, Daniel, phrasing. Go on, hold it together, mate. Come on, you can do. Stumble upon, they stumble upon a horse. (laughs) Sad just just encouraged me to for for us to hold for us to hold it together. Um, (laughs) Off air, mate. Off air. so the three lads from before are in the country and they see a man with a horse and cart and decide to topple the equipment off the back of it and the driver whacks one of them with a spade and, and just sees off the other two just you know shoes them away uh, the doctor and perry get there the doctor this is quite telling because the doctor's first instinct is to make sure the horse is okay and perry goes straight to the driver yeah <laughs> <laughs> the doctor's like that man's injured, but is this horsey okay? <laughs> yeah, which is great, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. Animal welfare can't really fault it for that. It's just, it was, I just thought it was quite funny. Um, they're asking why they attacked the guy and said, "Well, they were attacking the machinery." And essentially, they're saying that they are luddites uh, because and they're scared it'll the machinery will rob them of the jobs. Uh, they've left one uh, one man behind. Who got uh, got swatted with a spade, uh, Jack Ward, and he said it's the strangest they're usually friends. And that's when they notice a strange mark behind Jack's ear. Ooh, which looked like somebody just drawn a, a bit. It looked like somebody got a big red bingo dabber. Ah yes. 
Yeah. That's in my notes is that the Mark of the Ronnie is apparently just a bingo dabber to the just underneath to the side of the ear near the back of the neck. And later on, when these marks are considerably bigger, they look like someone's just took a slice of pepperoni off a pizza <laughs> and, and popped it on their neck. You know, <laughs> there, there's a, I swear there's a bit of like, uh, I don't know if it was the video quality, but there, there's a bit of like uh, hash marking to the, like a pattern inside of the red on the larger marks. And it's just like, is that is that fabric or just a sticker? Like you couldn't just take in the bingo dabber and gone for a full circle that's just bigger, but uh... <laughs> buy a bigger dabber. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just going to really struggle to call the Rani anything other than pepperoni now. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. That's it. And there's another Rani in the uh, Seventh Doctor series that you two can enjoy. So uh, pepperoni can appear once more. <laughs> <laughs> I love anything with double pepperoni, so I'm I'm <laughs> down for double pepperoni. <laughs> so the, that yeah, just the, that gave me different thoughts. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Where <laughs> <laughs> um, where were we? Yeah, so they buggered off, left the mate behind. Um, the Jack gets up and runs off, and basically, the uh, he's looking to see uh, George Stevenson, who's a famous uh, famous engineer. Basically, invented the uh, the, the steam locomotive. Uh, father of the railways um, the Doctor and Perry hitch a lift and the Doctor's very excited about meeting George Stevenson is, is basically what we got from there but the scarecrow's following them at a distance ooh spooky yes indeed and then and then this is where we see the Master isn't it just kind of hanging about uh, it's not long after this because the Master is actually the scarecrow yeah he's just kind of loitering isn't he he's, he's like just ambling about, sort of, you know. It's when he gets to the village a bit later on and he's just casually pulling his stuffing out. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Because uh, I did not make that connection. And also, like, I was going to say, because it seemed like the master just appeared in the village in the usual master outfit. So why the why the scarecrow dis- disguise in the first place? Oh, why not? Seems fun. Yeah, it, does, <laughs> it is a bit random, isn't it? Because the scarecrow doesn't come up again, does it? Nope. No. No explanation. No. So we saw was a scarecrow, so he's obviously hiding. Um, we sort of found out later on that the master's engineered the doctor to be there. But if the master engineered the doctor to be there, why does the master need to hide in in plain sight, as it were, and follow the doctor to the village, to the mining village? Because also, he, he's there for a reason. Also, I'm with AB as well. I didn't twig that the Scarecrow was the master. Oh. Yeah, no, it, I guess, uh, I don't know, I might have been looking away at the part where he pulls out the stuffing. Um, I, 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 just, I do obsessively take notes on these things, though. so I'm, I'm pausing like every sort of 20 to 30 seconds. <laughs> uh, uh, I, did not, I did not make that many notes. I have I'm not some. that though. Like, like, we've said, like, we, like we've said before, I, I've got more words on a page for these notes than size put words down for articles he's been paid to write. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it, that's not even an exaggeration. It is. It, you know, I, I think one of my longest articles was about four and a half thousand words. Uh, and I, I paid my rent with the money I got from that. I was very, very proud. And then literally that week, Dan said to me, oh, yeah, I made my notes. I've got like 6,800 words. I'm like, fucking hell. <laughs> Holy... <laughs> 
to today's count is five thousand eight hundred and ninety. Why? That's a lot. Um, I, I do a lot of unnecessary transcribing because I'm sat there thinking, well, this probably won't come up because it's not that interesting. But if it does, I need to be prepared. <laughs> <laughs> oh, then you wrote a lot of stuff that's not going to be relevant, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But ah, oh, well, too old to change my ways now. Um, but just before we see the master reveal, uh, the uh, the woman from the bathhouse uh, grabs a kid in the street and tells him to go to the pub and tell whoever wants a bath to to get in as the water won't be warm for much longer. Um, that's the that's the translation. That it was all in uh, in appropriate colloquialisms. Mm. Um, that's when the uh, the doctor and, and Perry arrive on the cart and the machine's beeping rapidly. But the doctor designed this machine to track time distortions. And yet he seems to think it can be affected by a bump in the road because the machine's beeping like hell as they pass the bathhouse and a lot is the point of the woman running it. And he just goes, yeah, it's a glitch or a bump in the road. Yeah, yeah. completely dismissed it. Yeah. Doesn't trust his own invention, which is a bit odd. Well, we know this guy's reputation for flying the TARDIS. Would you trust anything he invented? So maybe, no. it's maybe just, it's maybe just, it's maybe just a moment of self-awareness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, he, he might put on a front of, oh yes, everything I makes work, make works, and everything that I repair works. But uh, apparently, deep down, he knows how trash he is at fixing all of his <laughs> Oh, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Oh god! As they uh, as the pull up, we again get uh, get the doctor just going off to do his own thing because he's just adamant he's going to go get George Stevenson and just leaves Perry in the dust. Yeah, yeah. poor Perry left alone again. That happens quite a bit in this episode, doesn't it? He kind of uh, as a beta gets distracted, runs off somewhere, and Perry's left on her tod, or she's sent to go and do something, and then you sort of realise that's actually quite dangerous. Why is why is he sent her to go there with that person? You know. Because he trusts her and has no regard for her skill set. Uh, okay. yeah. <laughs> or, or, or has complete faith in her skill set, one of the two, and I'm, I'm never sure which one it is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how much herbology comes up when... Uh, I mean, actually, it comes up in this episode uh, specifically, but yeah, I don't know how much herbology... Like, it's not Resident Evil, where you can just take two green herbs, combine them together, and <laughs> wolf it down, and then you're healed. Um, I, I I don't know why he trusts her so much when she has no combat training. She's j- uh, honestly a spoiled American college student that he picked up and swept away. Um, or he's just not thinking because he's too excited, excited, and he's toddling off again, mm. which uh, is is a sixth doctor thing to do, or really just a doctor thing to do, really. And she's trying to do all this as well in Wellington boots with a bad neck. So, you know, <laughs> with, with, with healed Wellington boots. Yeah. Heels. Um, <laughs> at this point, we get the master reveal, but this is this was also the point when the uh, the guys come over from the pub to the bathhouse and they tell the woman that the others will be along after they finish the Tobies. Uh, is this is the point where I said I'm going to be the translator for this? Yeah. Um, just Thank to you, see. Yeah. No, it's fine. It's fine. Um, the Doctor and Perry are at, uh, at a guarded area of the mine. The dog's barking at them. And, uh, you know, so something valuable's in there and Perry's speculating whether it's coal, diamonds, uh, machinery or George Stevenson. And at this point, I've got a one of our tropes. And there's not there's only two this week. Uh, the guard there is, uh, is Richard Steele, who plays uh, Commandant Horton in War Games, 
who I'm, on the, in the order of release, I'm not sure if we've seen that yet or we we're going to see it. I've got the we've basically messed up the running order <laughs> um, <laughs> because being so pair of idiots. <laughs> <laughs> we tried really, really hard this season as well because we messed up last season. So we tried. Well, I'd say we Dan tried really hard this season. <laughs> we uh, we knacked it up with the um, with the draft episode because yeah. that released that because I'd calculated it for the Christmas special to drop Christmas week, but I based that on the fourteen episode run, not on the draft episode. But we released the draft episode when the the first episode should have been released. Yeah, so literally the very first episode of our of our season, we screwed the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, God, yeah. height of professionalism. And now <laughs> you got me on, and it's the same season. Clearly, clearly you have not done with the screwing up here. But, uh, oh, you know, give that's... <laughs> speaking to Speaking to you is a high point of this season, to be honest. It's, it's great because, you know, before we started doing the podcast, you know, I'll be honest, you know, none of us followed each other on Twitter, and it's, it's great to, uh, to to bring somebody else into the fold. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I've been super psyched to be doing this because I've been, you know, I've been following you guys on Twitter. You're uh, uh, also wrestling fans, so, you know, all the dumb wrestling vernacular that I try to shoehorn into real-life conversations, you'll actually get Yes. Um, <laughs> you know, I say somebody does a heel turn or uh, somebody's getting buried, and it's like not literally, not with, the, not with the shovel that was being used as a weapon in this episode, <laughs> but you know, just getting pushed down the card. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm, yeah, I'm very honored that you all chose me to come on here. Although I suppose for a Six Doctor episode, it was an easy choice. <laughs> <laughs> we wanted no I, one else. <laughs> who who else but me and the sixth doctor? And honestly, Perry, I actually made a YouTube video that is currently private, but I can link you where I go over all the classic who uh, companions, and it's it's just a dumb tear maker video. Um, and uh, while it was still up, I put Perry at S tier. And every single comment of anybody that knows Doctor Who immediately wanted to destroy me just for like really perry perry perp gilliam you're gonna put her s tier yes i'm gonna put her s tier because i have a crush on her and it's my list screw you <laughs> uh, there is no greater hive of scum and villainy than a, a youtube comment section oh absolutely <laughs> my first so i do i do uh i use a vtuber avatar and uh the first youtube video i ever put up was uh, actually just to test it all out and i got one comment and it was wow everybody looks sexier in black and i'm like i this is this is a barbie doll that i'm controlling like a puppet you do know that right <laughs> oh, amazing <laughs> people people hurt my brain <laughs> uh yep oh god Anyway, we're at the we're at the gates of this place. Uh, the guard's there. He's got his dog barking at him, and the doctor's trying to uh, blag his way in as a VIP. Um, didn't get his saying. Oh, I didn't get my pass because I was travelling and, and all that crap. But he runs off a few names: uh, Thomas Telford, Michael Faraday, Humphrey Davy, who were basically a collection of, of geniuses and engineers that sparked the uh, the industrial revolution in Britain. Uh, so we're in one of those sort of brush with history episodes. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, I normally mute my mic for the door closing, <laughs> but I was in full flow. 
Um, I've lost my place in my notes now. Yeah, so the doctor's saying is, you know, his lack of uh, name on there is an oversight and he's an inventor. And Perry's trying doing the, again, the very Doctor Who thing through the run of, of explaining, trying to explain away the eccentricity. And we've just got the, there's a, I always think it's a great, um, I'm struggling for the word now, um, contrast, it'll have to do, between the Doctor stood there in all his dubious finery and many, <laughs> and, and, and many, and many colours, and then the Master just brooding in the background. Totally in dressed black. All, dressed all in black. Yeah. And just looking like somebody's come into his house on Christmas Day and pissed on his kids. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> that's a good thought, turn. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? That's, that's an old Peter K line as well. <laughs> oh, man. I could, have right. said fa- I could have said he had a face like a smacked ass, but, you know, I went with that one. <laughs> With the master, though, you're right. It, obviously, dressed all in black, and uh, this is um, Anthony Ainley, isn't it, playing the master in this one? Yes. And mm-hmm. he becomes a little bit more, uh, I suppose, comic character bad guy as time goes by with the master and apparently the reason that the producers and the showrunners devised the character of the rani in the first place was because they thought that the master was becoming and this is the quote of that they used too much pantomime villain Mm. and that's why the rani was devised originally yeah, it, there's something sort of very classic about about Anthony Ainley and his whole performance, and you know his his soliloquies that he gives and and, and his delivery. I mean, I love it no matter what episode he's in. I, I absolutely adore Anthony Ainley as the master. But yeah, I can see how they'd feel he was maybe coming a bit sort of passe at this point. Yeah, and the Rani was supposed to be like a reoccurring character, and, and obviously does come back. But then, you know, who was cancelled in '89? But she was supposed mm-hmm. to be appearing a great deal more. There was much more plans for this character, apparently, but the timing just didn't just didn't work out. I'd love to see the Rani come back in modern Who. Ah, mm. uh, yes, that would be amazing. Um, oh, imagine I, imagine if Michelle Gomez had been playing the Rani. I, I love Michelle Gomez as Missy, but Michelle Gomez as the Rani. Would have been fabulous as well. Oh, Misty, that's a that's another on my list. Uh, <laughs> oh. Miss, Michelle Gomez and Johnson at the end of that um, at the end of Capaldi's run. Well, I've not got there yet with my watch back, so I can't quite remember that. <laughs> it, it, it took an odd it took an odd turn, um, and kind of plays into a question that I asked on the Marty and Fitch podcast, which was. Uh, which involved time travel and, and whether it had uh, time travel meeting yourself and whether it had been masturbation or incest. Um, but yeah, anyway. Sake. <laughs> I, when oh, I was I in school, it. when I was in school, my friends and I had a constant ph- uh, philosophy debate of if you slept with your clone, what would that count as? That's basically the same question. Um, I'm worried about how similar you and I think, Dan. Uh, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm very worried for you. Because I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I think that, 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 oh, for goodness sake, there, I'm pretty sure that's the first time Sam might have been genuinely annoyed at me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking about how much work I'm going to have to put in to make this airable. <laughs> oh, I... I'm toning myself down too. I if you've ever if you ever end up watching the wrestling show that I do play by play on, 
Yeah, that's live. Don't give me a live mic. I'm glad you're editing this. Do you require colonic irrigation but don't want to have to deal with all those wait times? Then come on down to Jumbo's All-You-Can-Eat Chinese Buffet, where you have a 1 in 7 chance of shitting yourself so hard, your insides become outside. We had a Jumbo's All-You-Can-Eat here in Tennessee for roughly six weeks. Let me tell you, before it was shut down, I'd never been so scared to cough my entire life. I used to be so daft and keep my food in my body for a while. But Jumbo's All-You-Can-Eat changed my life. Food to the toilet in 90 minutes. Wow. My dad took me to Jumbo's All-You-Can-Eat and then I had a massive poo. Jumbo's All-You-Can-Eat's where it's at because it's good eating even if you don't feel good afterwards. Jumbo's. We bring you out of yourself. Uh, where they're being guarded by a dog and uh, the doctor tries to get past him but he's basically gets barked down and, and Perry is great here. she just says guess he's not susceptible to your irresistible charm um, <laughs> which I love sarcastic Perry and the doctor knows he's been done there he knows he's been done because he just says to it occasionally just occasionally your smugness infuriates me and in my notes I've, in my notes I've got oh Wickle doctor got his feelings hurt because yeah. he's a dickhead <laughs> It, it yeah, does he's seem to our be... dickhead. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yes, <laughs> it does seem to be quite often. You see the doctor getting cross and snapping at Perry. So when she does get one back, it's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, I do love it. Um... There's a there's a comment for the very end of the uh, the review that we'll hold off on, but like just remember this, pin this, because it comes back up very well at the end of the episode with a brilliant line from the doctor. Yeah. Um, but they're basically talking about this meeting that's going to be taking place in less than two days. Um, and then the dog, uh, the dog runs off. Uh, it's been spooked. The doctor follows and the master's lurking at the gate. Uh, and he starts unbolting it until the dog gets there. <laughs> um, <laughs> for some reason, well, you know, to be fair, I'd, I'd be there just like a, <laughs> I'd just be there just going to be and trying to, trying to wrestle it. Cause I'm stupid when it comes to dogs. Um, Nearly been bit several times, but anyway, moving on. Um, the uh, the guard appears, whose dog it is, and the dog and the master just just kills him. He kills a dog as well. Yeah, yeah. that was completely. I, I was more more upset about the killing of the dog. Yeah, there was me. no need. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the master is an evil dude. You know, that's that's his whole premise. But he didn't need to zap the dog, did he? No, Bastard. no, he didn't. He didn't. But he's just the type of like creature that will mm. because he can it's just like oh just two obstacles in front of me zap zap obstacles gone yeah it's almost a cold logic to it isn't it called indifference yeah I, yeah it just it, and, and as well the, the thing he's using to zap them looks like a toy microphone that my sister had for like an old karaoke <laughs> kit in the 80s it probably was you know <laughs> Yeah, it's, you just uh, put in a, a spring and a button like those uh, those grabber things for old people. Yes, you know, uh, there, yeah. There's 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 the doctor's weapon. You just do that in a, a toy microphone, paint it black. There you go. Put some flashing lights on it if you need to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the doctor and Perry, the doctor and Perry are checking the outbuildings. They realise the uh, they realise the dog stopped barking, and then the master encounters the three blokes who were smashing the machinery. And 
<laughs> this is the way there's so much so much northern in this is what's that doing here? He's one of brainy ones arrived earlier. Arrived early, come to robbers of our jobs. Um and the master sort of talks his way around him and gets threatened with a big rock. <laughs> yeah, a big yeah. It was kind of shiny on one edge, if I remember correctly. Um and literally I just got distracted by that by the shiny object on the screen, which yeah. uh that that t- tells you my level of attention span clearly. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm about there with you at the minute, to be honest. Um, the master's trying to talk his way out of it. Um, and he's putting him onto the doctor, saying he pretended to help, but he's an inventor to mechanise the mine and, and take the jobs and and just basically sends him after the doctor. He gives this whole spiel about the doctor trying to take bread from their mouths and you know and all of that, and the basically just go after him. Uh, master opens the gate for them and... Uh, he says that, um, he says he says you'll find the doctor wearing yellow trousers and a vulgar coat. <laughs> He's nowhere near as stylish as me in my black robes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, uh, that's not an incorrect supposition. Uh, I say as I have a link to a dress version of the sixth doctor's outfit. Um, <coughs> But I don't care about fashion or looking good, so it's perfectly fine. But no, I mean the master looks the more stylish of the two. But that's not a that's a low bar to clear. Yeah. <laughs> a friend of a friend of mine has a, a philosophy that if he likes something, he'll buy it, and if it's ugly, then he's going to want it even more. And more's the better because he just doesn't give a shit. And that same logic led uh, led me to buy a pair of airbrushed NWO shorts. <laughs> and then me drunk, then me telling me drunkenly telling Cy that I purchased these shorts. Then ended up with Cy purchasing them as well. I got them too. <laughs> oh, gee. <laughs> well, now I'm curious. You're gonna have to send me a. Uh, you're gonna have to send me a Twitter DM with the link because now I want to know what these look like at the very least. That that is Shawn Michaels' pair as well that had like the heartbreak logo, but with the Texas flag in them. Oh yeah, no, I, I can't be doing that. <laughs> They sold out of those. I wanted a pair of those as well, but they sold out. <laughs> Sean's my guy, man. <laughs> I, was, I was with you till the, the Texas flag. We we can't be doing that. Uh, no. Can't be doing that. Although I will say right now I am wearing a QWO t-shirt. Uh, that uh, it is the queer world order that apparently the... Uh, the drag queen that's a manager now in the NWA. Poyo Del Mar. Thank you. Um, yeah, so uh, he made all these shirts and uh, sold them on Twitter. So I bought I bought one. Uh, half the proceeds went to like the Trevor Project or LGBT charities. Um, but I just thought that was funny because I can see you on camera with the red NWO. He's <laughs> yeah. like, well, pink QWO. That's not a real thing, though. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 the only reason I have the Wolfpack NWO is because it was two pound fifty cheaper than the white, than the black and white. <laughs> Amazing. And I am a I am a Yorkshire stereotype, so if I'm going to save two pound fifty, I'm going to save two pound fifty. That's half a pint of Toby. <laughs> <laughs> oh god! Toby Back to the start. Or... Uh, who, who knows at this point? <laughs> 
<laughs> back to the story there. Doctor and Perry are still looking for uh, for George Stevenson. Um, we have a moment where. Perry is looking into the pit and the doctor's remarking on her sort of propensity to find danger and giving, starting a lecture on how she should be mindful of her surroundings. Uh, all while these, I've called them the incoming dumbasses, which is the, the charging Luddites with the marks on the neck. <laughs> and, she, and Perry is giving this speech about, you must mind your surroundings. Blah, blah, blah. And Perry's saying, doctor, fucking watch out. Yeah. <laughs> Behind you. Um, yeah. I also, I have in my notes from this point, um, I'm not entirely sure if Nicola Bryant knew what facial uh, reactions to go for during that bit. She, uh, like, if you if you watch that clip back as the doctor begins to lecture her, she goes through, like, four or five different emotions on her face very rapidly. And I'm just like, I'm... Uh, what? I, didn't, I like, didn't notice. I didn't notice that to be honest. Although to be honest, when you said it just now, you said Nicola Bryant and facial, my brain short circuited. So <laughs> there's another one for you to edit out, sir. Fucking hell! I'd, I'd be I'd be lying if I didn't word it that way to toss it up as a softball, sir. So. <laughs> oh, I'm a horrible influence. Sorry, you are so fucked. Oh. <laughs> I'll, I'll try and behave. Uh, well, I'll I'll try to try. Um, but the uh, the Luddites catch up with him. He's trying to reason with them. He drops the uh, the detector thing down the mine, grabs the chain, and we've got some we've got some physical peril. Uh, but we do get a real comedy uh, shot and special effects as one of the uh, one of the guys falls into the mine and yes. just shot, there's, there's like a, it's like somebody dropped a cardboard cutout onto a black square and then just had it disappear. Yeah. And and the poor guy is on his back, but he's he. Like, you can tell he's lying on whatever they're going to chroma key. Uh, and, like, just with almost like a, a dog or a cat with his limbs and and just kind of moving them around to simulate falling, except the limbs are in front of them as opposed to directly to the side, which is what you would expect. And, yeah, it comes off looking really bad. I, I had quite a lot of laughs with that. Um, and I believe they spun him a little bit in post. Yes, yeah, they did. <laughs> It, 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 it's one of those amusing bits of sort of special effects that haven't aged well, but you kind of love it because it's aged badly. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the, the doctor's still holding on, Perry screaming at him to hold on, and then a bloke out of nowhere turns up with a gun, fires a warning shot, and says to stop or he'll blow them all away, and the, uh, you know, the rest of the Luddites sort of move off uh, at this point we don't know the guy's name so I've just called him Sideburns um, <laughs> okay <laughs> they, they, they intervene and lift the doctor out and he thanks them and, and Sideburns says to thank their stupidity as he'll need two minutes to reload the gun um, I have to say that nobody at any point mentions the guy that fell into the pit yeah no one gives a shit he's gone do they no <laughs> like Oh, it's not um, whatever his whatever his face was, whatever he was called, Mick Ward or whatever it was. Um, yeah, but you know that guy. Yeah, screw that guy. Nobody liked him anyway. There's yeah, a bit no, of he's a, dead. He's, yeah, he's, he's permanently dead. Yeah. There's <laughs> a bit of a, a, an well issue dead. here as well, like a, a, I don't know the correct term, like a continuity error. Maybe there's how many people are attacking the Doctor here? Uh, like five, six. Right. Apparently. Uh, I, I, yeah, maybe I, I was like three or four, yeah, maybe. Maybe four, maybe yeah, maybe four or five. Yeah, but there's where they've obviously edited certain moments of this from different camera angles together. 
there's a certain number of hands battling the doctor. This guy falls down the pit, and then there's more hands battling the doctor afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> so where they obviously like edited it into the wrong sequence, like you know. So that was I, I got a bit of a kick out of that. To be fair, <laughs> oh, love it. Oh, I missed that. That's good. It's like it's like the it's like the uh, the Starbucks cup in Game of Thrones. If you've ever seen that uh, that blooper, yeah. So it's meant obviously meant to be you know high fantasy medieval scene, you know, aboard a ship and and, and all of that. And in the middle of the table, this you know there's food on there and whatever. And just right in the middle is one of the crew's Starbucks coffee cups. Amazing. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Oh, see, I've never seen it. So <sighs> there we go. A classic sign. <laughs> <laughs> Neither have I, to be perfectly honest. I just remember the articles where everybody was absolutely shitting on that. It's just like, how do you miss that? It is crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it was. It was funny. Um, back to, <laughs> again, back to our story. Uh, we find out that Sideburns is actually Lord Ravensworth. Uh, he's demanding uh, the Doctor's ID and none of this fluff about VIPs. Um, and the master stands there, his plot has failed, and he just stomps off in a huff like a, like a pissy child. This uh, is a real guy, though, isn't it? This Lord Ravens lost his face. Uh, probably. Yeah, he was um, a uh, uh, an MP, I think. I think he was a Tory MP in the 1800s. And this is uh, the first, because he and obviously Stevenson are, are real people. Mm. This is, the uh, um, from what I read anyway, is the first Doctor Who story that actually had real historical figures in it since the William Hartnell days. So a, wow. a great deal of time had passed since, I think it was the gunfighters. They had some, like a famous cowboy in it, I think, but mm. that was, I think that might've been the last one. Well, that's, yeah, the fr- I was just going to, sorry. I was just going to say the, I mean, the first doctor series initially was to teach. It was meant to be educational. Yeah. Um, and then the Daleks happened and then off to the races. But, um, yeah, I, I'm actually surprised it's taken this long in the show to go uh, to get another historical figure because it it's such an easy thing that you could do and you don't have to explain the backstory of someone, but you're not necessarily changing history just by introducing yourself to them. Mm. Like It feels like that would be an easy ad, and yet they waited all these years before they did it again. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so I, do, I do. I do like the fact that George Stevenson, though, just to give the Doctor the chance to be a complete engineering nerd. Yeah, <laughs> he's he's proper fanboying out, isn't he, about about this guy? Yeah, and it oh, plays yeah. into here. It plays into this now because you know Ravensworth selling him, you know, basically cut the bullshit. You're here to see Stevenson. The Doctor saying he's a great admirer and, and blah de blah. And Ravensworth says you're not in league with the machine wreckers, and he checks the Doctor's hands and looks at his hands. And says, well, you've obviously never done a day's work in your life, so you might even be a gentleman. <laughs> <laughs> very, uh, very classist. Um, but uh, the setting up search parties and and all the rest of it, and, and Ravensworth's quite um, quite perturbed because he's worked with a lot of these people, uh, particularly Jack Ward. It was not Mick Ward, as I said before. He's worked with him for thirty years, and he's you know he's never raised a fist at anybody uh, until recently, until the last well, <laughs> the last half hour. Um, that's what it feels like. Um, and the doctor's running through it, saying you know only started recently. There's more Luddite attackers, more extreme, you know, even murderous. Um, so only men are affected they go savage and berserk and we then cut to a woman tending to an unconscious man with a device fitted to his neck and uh, mm. you know, a mask over his face obviously, obviously sedated 
the master breaks in with the uh, the weird magnetic de- uh, with a weird man ugh. with a weird yeah. magnetic device thing in his glove. I got that out eventually. Yeah. <laughs> Easy for me to say. And we get kind of this whole thing with the master is kind of. He's trying to be slick and smooth, and we find out it's uh, it's the Rani who has been disguised herself as uh, you know, disguised herself as the, as the old lady uh, dealing with the bathhouse, and he tries to be slick, and the Rani is having none of his shit, mm. and I kind of love it. Yes. If, uh, if if I may interject real quick with the note that I wrote down during the scene, absolutely. The master acting like a sad incel wanting the girl he's obsessed over. Yeah. Referring to the Rani or the doctor? Uh, the master. Meaning the Rani, I'm sorry. And who knows? I mean, Missy had her moments with the doctor as well. So uh, you could put it that way too. But right now, I do mean the Rani. <laughs> complex relationship isn't it if you can change between man woman time lord fancy each other not fancy each other want to kill each other and so on it's quite a complex relationship between the master and the doctor isn't it (laughs) just a wee bit yeah sounds fun though Um, (laughs) i'm worried that you say that (laughs) i I, I did say that you should be worried if you're thinking along the same lines as me (laughs) fair point absolutely fair um, and now, and now, Sai's going to have to find that bit and make sure that bit's in, so this bit makes sense. I'm going ha- to have to book a whole evening to sort this out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so I, I wanna, sorry. My, my, my ultimate goal is to one day have to make you take a day off work just to edit a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Oh god! Um, but yeah, he gives it this whole slimy line and say, no, you know, fascinating, but then anything connected with you would would undoubtedly be fascinating, my dear Rani. And it's all for me, you slimy bastard. And she just <laughs> looks at him, she just looks at him and says, I thought you were dead. <laughs> <laughs> but this is what got this is what got me thinking, like, is this the first time this can't be the first time that we've seen the master since the crusty master in Deadly Assassin? No, he's he's popped up. Since then, he was in the Five Doctors uh, uh, on stage. Oh, so yeah. Sorry, yeah. yeah. Apparently, the, the story that he was in before this, he w- was burnt to death or something. I oh. don't know the exact story, but there's no explanation here as to how he's still alive. They just kind of go, "Oh, look, here's the master. He's back." Oh, fair enough. There's there's Why a not? lot of convenient forgetting to tell how we got here. With a lot of the the characters, um, I don't remember Pip and Jane Baker writing many episodes, so <laughs> I wonder if this is why. Um, yeah, I was gonna. Yeah, there's, I was, there's a lot missing. I was gonna say okay. something up. There's a lot of stuff happens because the plot needs it to in this this two parter, and mm-hmm. they're just you know it's either a vague explanation or no explanation. We're just supposed to take it as read that that things happened. Mm. There's um, a big one later on that I'm pretty sure I wrote down. Hopefully, I did. Yeah. Apparently, uh, Pip and Jane Baker wrote big sections of the Trial of a Time Lord, and also wrote the Time and the Rani from the Sylvester McCoy's era. Sylvester McCoy's era. Okay. Uh, and they wrote okay. for they wrote for a few other sci-fi shows as well. But yeah, they didn't do masses, by the looks of it. I I can kind of understand why. 
yeah. not to give not to give away my thoughts on this episode too early in the day, but it's but we'll get to that anyway. Uh, but the master's trying to make a um, make an alliance with the Rani, and she's not interested in his flattery or anything like that. And basically, she she directly says, I'm "Not interested in your pathetic vendetta," and tells them both to clear off. Um, yeah, I love this because it's, she's obviously up to something. She's got her plan that we're going to probably talk about in a moment, aren't we? She's got this 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 you know method of doing what she's doing, and she's got her reason for being there. And she's going about her so we say evil business, you know, minding her own business, doing what she needs to do. The master's turned up, brought the doctor along as well, and they're going to end up fighting and scrapping around what she's doing and basically buggering up her plans. So yeah. I can understand where she's coming from. She's she's basically saying, look, if you two want to bicker and argue and, and be a pair of dicks to each other, go do it on a different planet because you're messing up my stuff here. Yeah, yeah. Take your evil bullshit somewhere else. This is my evil bullshit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, the, 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 and then the master threatens to uh, to ruin her evil bullshit as he twizzles a knob menacingly. Mm, indeed. Yes. Indeed. Mm, quite. Um, <laughs> I'm going to uh, I'm going to remember that phrase next time. <laughs> that's needed. <laughs> um, the Rani orders her men to uh, to kill the master. The master kills one of them, and Rani stops the other. We have a brief interlude with um, Josh and Tom, who are the two sort of henchmen for the Rani. Uh, their family saying that they'd be missing for days and wouldn't harm anyone, etc., etc. Just to sort of hammer home the changes in uh, in personality. And I, I, pretty, I, I like every time the Rani and, and the master have time to snipe at each other. It's usually a re- it's usually a really fun little thing um, because the Rani calls the Master and the Doctor well-matched pests. Um, and we find out that the Rani is using mind-control maggots. Yeah, this was quite clever as well, wasn't it? Because she's um, a chemist, isn't she? As mm. they refer to her as quite a bit. And she tink- tinkers with the biology of different things and so on. The reason why she was you know, exiled from Gallifrey is part to do with that as well. So not just, you know, the master goes around hypnotizing people and all this sort of stuff. She's popping little maggots in, in, in you know, the gobs of people and uh, controlling them that way. So I, I thought that was quite good. Yeah, I did. I, don't, I didn't quite know what to make of an our space. I'm not going to make any jokes about this. But there was the master says, are these parasites you've specially impregnated? And it's like, mate, they're just, chemically in, they're just chemically enhanced maggots. You don't have to tie everything up like that don't <laughs> overanalyze the maggots yeah <laughs> they wriggle and they control people's minds what more do you want yeah. that's all the information we require <laughs> yeah pretty much I, I do like it though when the rani says to him there's a simple way to find out try some yeah. and yeah. he just like like a child nicking another child's toy he just grabs the lot off her and she sort of realizes she can't physically overpower him and he's sort of waxing lyrical about the Rani's work and saying exiling her was a cardinal error on the Time Lord's part. And, and she kind of agrees. And it's like, yeah, I, I know. And they'll, they'll pay. Don't you worry. Um, and we get sort of the logical side of Perry next, where she wants to leave because of the danger. Mm. Um, and the doctor's just like, nope, staying. Screw you. <laughs> I need to engineer nerd with the engineer. <sighs> Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'll solve that. I'll solve what's going on because there's obviously something going on. But first and foremost, I want to. I want to meet George. I need to be friends. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I want to play with trains. <laughs> yeah, I want to play with the trains that aren't invented yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but that's just another little interlude because we're back with the master and the Rani, and 
you know, Masters trying to get Rhino to cooperate, the Doctor won't tolerate anyone playing with his favourite planet. Um, the, Rani, the the aggression we find out of, of these guys with the marks on them is a side effect of the Rani's um, experiments. Mm. She's extracting a chemical only found in the human brain. Um, basically saying, you know, she, the, 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 fucking what is wrong with me today? I'm worse than I thought I was. Jesus Christ. Come on, get it together, dickhead. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so she's extracting chemical only found in the human brain. And it, it sort of can't be part of, of what the master's doing. And she doesn't know his reasons for being there. And it's to, to destroy the doctor. Um, she assumes it's to, to destroy the doctor. And we get one of Ainley's better lines of the episode, which naturally I've got written down. And he says, certainly I want to destroy him, see him suffer, but that's just an exquisite first step. I have a greater concept, one that will encompass the whole human race. And then Rani just looks at him and says, you're unbalanced. No wonder the Doctor always outwits you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and so we get this this great little exchange about the Doctor outwitting... um, uh, you know, outwitting the master, and then the master again just grabs the chemical from from the Rani. Um, her reflexes aren't brilliant. Um, and he's saying about how little uh, is extracted from from one brain and and all of that, and how does it make them aggressive? He threatens to smash the vial, and the Rani reveals that this is the chemical that effectively makes you able to sleep. And he understands that he she needs the uh, needs the chemical for her aliens on uh, Mia Simeogoria, uh, which I bet Si is really glad I didn't make him say. I don't know what that is. <laughs> it's the, uh, Mia is the planet that the Rani controls where she was conducting experiments ah, yes. uh, to try and make the uh, the sort of the aliens docile and, and controllable. But in her experiments, she made them unable to sleep and they got aggressive and uh, and ultimately she needs this chemical from the human brain to uh, to make make her army, I suppose, or to, to heal the uh, the population that she broke. Uh, so that's basically that's basically catching us up. So the masters now with people's brains, you're going to cause problems, isn't you? Let's be honest. Well, as a rule of thumb, yeah. Generally, yeah. I also have a question. Uh, uh, so this was probably like sort of like late mid '80s when this was aired. I believe you said uh, 85, was it? Yeah, February February 85, yeah. So 1985, did we not know the name of melatonin? I don't know. (laughs) The regular, I don't think, you know, any regular person on the street did. Um, Oh, fair. It was just funny to me because it's like, you can buy it at the the pharmacy or the chemist, I guess I should say. Uh, You can just go get that off the counter and, you know, get some sleep. Um, uh, melatonin was discovered in 1958, so oh, um, so yeah, r- relatively late on, really. Um, how's that for a bit of live googling? <laughs> hey, I'll I cut that to... bit out about you googling and just make you look really fucking smart. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the play. That's that's brilliant. Yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it because <laughs> I'm really not at the minute, as we've already seen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so basically the master's now holding all the Rani's uh, all the Rani's toys hostage to, to, to get her on side. And she's got a scanner in there and using it to scan for the doctor. And the doctor's examining corpses and, and checking the necks. Um, and we see uh, Luke Ward, who's Jack's uh, son, 
and he works as Stevenson's assistant and he's sort of Ravensworth's uh, Ravensworth's protege and I tell a lie we don't see him yet they want to find Luke I can't read my own notes and the best thing is not even handwritten it's actually just typed on a page so I can't even blame my handwriting um, this is going well <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, so there's a there's a bit more between the master and the Rani, but it's all basically saying that they're in a unified cause. Um, the only sort of bit of information here is that the Rani has these tablets that she takes uh, for her lungs as Earth's atmosphere affects them, and it's something to do with the uh, the humidity, basically. And the master uh, master goes off to uh, to do some more evil shit. Um, but yeah, so far, AB, I'm complete with you. The Rani absolutely steals everything uh, from now That's- on. Oh yeah, no, it, uh, and I remember seeing before I had, uh, before I had to reboot. Uh, I remember seeing that uh, it was Kate O'Mara playing the Rani, and uh, she was absolutely brilliant. I also wanted to note while they're talking about those capsules, you can see that the Master does not trust her, uh, and basically doesn't believe that that's what the capsules actually do. So he makes sure that. They the the capsule stays where it is while he leaves, mm. um, which that becomes a bit of a plot point later. Um, but yeah, uh, Kate Amara, uh, gorgeous, brilliant, intelligent. The Ronnie is uh, th- uh, the perfect femme fatale um, for this type of series at this type of time in the universe. So um, I, I was very happy with her parts uh, of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were just going to leave it there as you were very happy with her parts. <laughs> I mean, that is also true, but, uh, you know. Anyway, we, we don't want to give sides <laughs> so much more. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, we cut to the doctor and he's questioning Luke about his dad being normal this morning. And he, he's sort of saying that the answer's probably staring him straight in the face and he just can't see it. Uh, Luke last saw his dad as he came off shift and went to the bathhouse. And the doctor immediately asks for an old coat. And uh, Perry reminds the doctor that the device reacted when they went past the bathhouse. At least somebody was paying attention to that. Um, and the doctor, again, says the answer was looking him square in the face. Um, the uh, the men who attacked him didn't look like they'd come straight from the mine. They were too clean. Now, he said that, but I, they got gassed before they got the bath. So, oh, this, yeah. means, so this means that... <laughs> that the Rani or the Rani servants gave them a sponge bath before before, <laughs> before doing the experiments. Which Oh, you're right. You know, a, that adds a whole different layer to this story. Well, it's, yeah, I, I'll uh, remind me remind me off air to um, to tell you about the uh, the terrifying realization when watching Wally because um, the story will just give you more editing to do. Okey doke. Um, yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm summarily frightened. <laughs> oh, it's something that just makes the whole of Wally just so much more sinister and creepy. Um, oh no! So the doctor's getting um, uh, the doctor's getting an old coat, and he's putting uh, putting soot on his face to make himself look like a miner. Um, 
Perry's asking where she fits into the plan and he just says to stay here and be safe. And she very rightly points out that she hasn't been safe since she found herself in the TARDIS. Yeah, <laughs> With regards to Colin Baker kind of dirtying himself up as well when he grabs the, the dirt from the floor and wipes it on his face. Uh, according to uh, TARDISFandom.com, who speak to like you know production crew and so on for the episodes, Colin Baker at this moment, when he scooped up the dirt and the, and the muck from the floor and wiped it on his face, unknowingly smeared dog shit on himself. <laughs> oh, no! Again, according to TARDISFandom.com. So, yeah. Why, why, why did they have dog shit on set? Well, I imagine the dog just took a crap. I don't think they shipped it in. <laughs> well, so it's, like a, it's, like a ked, it's like a kennel from hell situation. Yeah. They, they, they didn't spread it around in order to make it look more period accurate. It just yeah, maybe, happened yeah. to end up there. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> oh, God. Well, that answer to that question didn't go the way I thought it would. <laughs> and there's the poop story for the episode. We can knock that one off the list. Check mark. <laughs> yeah, add that to, we need to add that to, uh, to Doctor Who pod bingo. Someone talks about poop. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, uh, the Master and the Rani have found uh, another entrance to the mine. Uh, so they're going in there and the, ma- uh, the Rani is it basically orders something to let them enter it's more of a more of a mind controlled goons um she's sort of worried about the filies the doctor presses uh, she presses a device that disables the attacker so she's effectively got remote controlled servants which is a bit mad um i quite liked it because the master just outright looks at her and says yeah, you didn't think that one through, did you? You know, having him attacked <laughs> when he's when he's got when he's got the file of the precious brain fluid. Uh, but we get that thing where it, it's from an old Family Guy joke where Peter says, "Like I love it. I, I haven't been this thrilled since uh, uh, since I saw that saw something where they say the name of the movie in the movie." And the doctor looks at sorry, the master looks at one of them and says, "Ah, the mark of the Rani." <laughs> yes. Oh, I groaned. I groaned immediately as soon as I heard that. I'm like, oh, there it is. They said the name. And the best thing is they don't just do it the once. Nope. They say it twice and it doesn't get any better the second time. (laughs) Oh, God. um, There's more Luddites in there and the... They're asking if uh, if the if the other one's dead and don't understand what happened, and the master's blaming the doctor. He says, "Oh, but he's nowhere near." And he says, "It doesn't have to be near, thanks to a machine. He's got a machine that kills people from far away." <laughs> and they just they just take that as red. It's like, yeah, that's fine. That'll do. Mm-hmm. Just accept it. Yeah. Yeah. You you look like a smart, trustworthy gentleman. Yeah. I will take the words that you say at face value. <laughs> yeah, not like that nutter in his yellow trousers and brightly coloured coat. <laughs> Which, by the way, when when the doctor enters the bathhouse, you know he's wearing this dirty jacket. He's dirtied his face up with his dog poo, and he, <laughs> he's, he's still wearing his bright yellow trousers. That, I've got that as well. So the Rani replaces yes. disguise and beckons the miners into the bathhouse. The doctor's in last, and I've just got those yellow trousers. Are fucking ridiculous. I used to have a pair like, of yellow uh, jeans. Ooh, yeah. Imagine, this this was the nineties. No excuse. <laughs> I also like the fact that the doctor, with uh, no regard to the uh, local custom or supporting local businesses, does the trick of just picking up the box and shaking it rather than actually put a coin in. Yes. So that you could go in. (laughs) That was good. (laughs) But immediately the gas starts filtering in and they all collapse. Um, 
the, the master has drawn a TARDIS on a bit of paper and he's telling the uh, telling the Luddites to go and get it. And they say, that looks like some sort of coffin. And the master agrees, but it's the machine that murdered their friend. And he wants the machine buried in the deepest mine to rob the doctor of his power. Um, so they tell, him, they tell him to fetch it and he'll bait the trap in the village. Um, the Rani's working on the doctor. Now, at this point, I'm pretty sure the Rani is, they've established that the Rani knows the doctor's around. Yes. She must have seen the yellow trousers. She's on, they've obviously skipped the sponge bath stage here as well, because uh, the doctor's still got um, still got soot and dog shit on him. Um, <laughs> but, then, but then she hears the two hearts beating, mm-hmm. and she only then figures out that it's the doctor as he wakes up and he, he looks as well, 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 the Rani, and. You know, saying you were expecting the master, and then here's why I thought this might have been the first time we've seen him since the Krusty Master in, in Deadly Assassin, and because he's not exactly he was burnt to a crisp the last time I saw him, it okay. just didn't occur to me that he could have been set on fire again because I'm stupid. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the, the, the master, especially in the old series, the master does seem to find himself near uh, very hot substances a lot. I don't know why. Um, they really, they really wanted Anthony Ainley to uh, to be burnt many, many times, and I have no answer as to why. Yeah, it's a bit weird. Yes, yeah. I mean, also, I suppose it's the same as any villains in 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 Doctor Who, classic Who, or New Who. They get ultimately vanquished, especially like when you get to New Who and you have the season closers, like the end of uh, end of a run. And they, you know, they're all destroyed and sent away. But then they always come back. Yeah. Yeah. Doctor is not very good at finishing (laughs) or finishing off the aliens. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So we go from that, and we we get a great exchange here Um, because the Rani tells the Doctor that his smugness is misplaced because the Master's very much alive and wants vengeance, and she just chucks on curse the pair of you at the end of it. And uh, the doctor looks at her and says, uh, well, since we're insulting each other, I don't think much of your tasting clothes does nothing for you. Um, (laughs) Because I think the Rani's still in the the bathhouse owner disguised at that point. Yeah. And she just she just fires back with your your regeneration is not too attractive either. But at least I can change my appearance. You're stuck with what you've got. so he says something about needing uh, he, he needed a brain regeneration. He should have been able to put personality changes caused by bodily chemical imbalance. You know, should have been able to put that together with the Rani as an obvious culprit. Um, and you know, saying you know, you had me fooled. If it's any consolation, he says it isn't. <laughs> but he says should have should have been caught anyway, eventually anyway. And she, she explains that she never has. It's not a first visit. She's been coming here for centuries. And uh, the doctor's quite sort of suitably impressed and says that she's obviously a brilliant tactician as well as chemist. And she, she just goes, you know, she's, she calls humans feckless and always in disarray, so they're not too hard to infiltrate. She's been coming throughout the Trojan Wars, uh, the Dark Ages, the War of Independence, Luddite Rilets, and, and they're all perfect cover. And the doctor very quickly and abruptly deduces about the extracting of the chemical that promotes sleep, the melatonin. And it just it felt quite abrupt 
as I say, in how quickly he figured it out. But if I'm being generous, given that this is sort of like the last piece of the puzzle, it I can kind of see how we got there. I don't know how you guys felt about how quickly the Doctor figured that out. It did come around quite quick, didn't it, to be fair, yes. I it it seems like it it was the most natural thing for th- that to be what she's doing mm-hmm. i guess it calls into question how much the doctor and the ronnie know of each other which we will never know in this season cuz we just don't get that backstory um but like he almost seemed uh disappointed or uh I forget the word I'm looking for, it, but he just seemed unfazed. Like, oh, uh, it's the most natural thing in the world for yeah. the Ronnie to come here and take that specific chemical for her own needs, whatever they may be. Almost like he expected it in a way, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, it's an odd one, but I do quite like that that leads to the Ronnie <laughs> beginning to understand why the Master doesn't like the Doctor. Um <laughs> And uh, the Doctor has to be released, and she refuses because the Doctor and the Master will scupper her work. And there's quite a good exchange. The Doctor protests that humans are living things, and they've done ha- done no harm. And the, ma- the Rani says, well, they're carnivores. What harm have animals ever done to them? Do they think about lesser beings that they're took into a lamb chop? Mm. And it, it's, it kind of gives the Rani an air of superiority that she feels she's above humanity and, and sees them as effectively as cattle. But it's done in such a way that it sort of it leads you to that conclusion, to that realization about the Rani's character, rather than just smacking you around the face with it. Mm. Although so I, really I will like say that. I was, uh, sorry, I, I I will say I was half expecting, uh, and this is just from personal experience, I suppose, for a very long veganism rant to come from the Rani after saying that <laughs> it. It just felt like the opening intro of a why you should be vegan angry argument. No offense to vegans. I I just I, everybody do what you want and don't hurt anybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. But you do get some some vegan I'm not again, not all, but some can be shall I say a touch preachy? Hmm. Yeah. Uh yeah. That's a good word for it. Yeah, we get that this side of the pond as well, trust me. It's uh, yeah. it's, it's quite frustrating, but there we go. <laughs> yeah. What can um, you do? So, yeah, the, uh, the master's back, the Rani orders Josh to guard the doctor, and she says, if he moves, kill him. And she says, no, don't kill him. Kill the human strapped into the other machine. Um, she exits, and the doctor just says, don't hurry back. Uh, Perry, meanwhile, is, is watching the Rani leave. She sneaks into the bathhouse. She's calling for the doctor. Um, she knows he's there and she didn't see him leave. She finds the bodies on the floor. And he, the doctor shouts and tells her not to come any closer because the Rani didn't shut the secret door to her secret lab. Yes. Yes, indeed. And there's yeah. no, there's also a moment as well. Um, I don't think it's here. I think it's actually earlier on. And I, I forgot to bring it up. Where the wooden bar that goes across the door yeah. to block people entering is put across the door to stop people entering. And then the very next camera cut, the, the wooden bar is back on the floor again. Brilliant. So she's got trouble oh. with this door, hasn't she? she she's got some issues with her, with her secret layer, you know? <laughs> yeah, just a few. And then the basic concept of doors. Yeah. <laughs> seemingly. Um, 
but they're trying to figure out the way, sort of a way around the orders to uh, to kill, uh, for Josh to kill the, the other human strapped down. And she's trying to come up with something, and she says, "Get the doctor says to get the other guy out of danger." And he says to Perry to use some of that American initiative and wheel him outside. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, is that a thing? <laughs> Are Americans well I... renowned for initiative? Uh, in and again, uh, I will say as a Canadian that has grown up in America, um, they do seem to believe that they do have this like initiative and gumption. Like, there's a very large, you know, whatever's happening, pull it, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and just charge forward and. Don't look, just you, you're gonna make it through because you're an American, damn it. <laughs> you, <laughs> right, you, okay. can, you can make it through anything. It's it's very, very bizarre. I will so say that. So it's more of a delusion than anything else. I would say so, yes. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, at this point, the Rani comes back because why not? And just says, Who's this brat? <laughs> and P- Perry's reaction here is fantastic as well because she just kind of stops looks around a little bit as though she's going to try and hide somewhere but she's got this trolley as well in front of her yeah. but she looks around a little bit like oh what should I do what should I do and then she's just like ah you know what the game's up they've got me yeah. <laughs> and just, I, just stands there <laughs> absolutely true and uh, much like I was wondering what was up with her facial expressions while at the mine pit um this was the exact opposite. Like you could, you could feel it from her facial expressions. You could understand exactly what she was thinking without her even saying a word. It was yes. very yeah. well done. Yeah, I like it. And, and the master's back as well. And he, <laughs> I, I, don't get me wrong, I do like Anthony Ainley. Just he has, a, he has a propensity. They wrote him in such a way that he'll use fifty words where three will do. And he's particularly verbose in this. He's like, my dear Rani, quite unwittingly, you've made my triumph utterly complete. Allow me to introduce the Doctor's latest travelling companion, Miss Purple Gilliam Brown, although her travelling days will soon be over. That, okay. All right, yeah, Mr. <laughs> Fan- Mr. Fancy Pants. It's so, like you know, when you hear it's like when you hear certain singers, isn't it? I suppose like Mariah Carey is, is topical at the moment because she's just gone back to the top of the charts in the UK of her Christmas song. She's she's got this vocal range, but feels the need to show everybody every octave of of her vocal range in every song when you don't need mm. to. And it's like here with a master, you don't need all of those words to get that point across, but just because you know them, it's almost like they try to get all those words in. Yeah, it's like look at look at me, I know words. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. To give it a, a wrestling connection, it, it, and you're right, especially that line I have written down, reminding me of Lenny Poffo, a.k.a. the genius. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Of wonder and renown. And I was just like, wow, this is like, Anthony Anley would have been brilliant as the genius as a pro wrestler, uh, at least character-wise, because damn, he's got that down. Very pompous. Oh, sorry, sorry. That, that comparison didn't even enter my mind, but now you've pointed it out. That is absolutely spot on the money. Can't unsee it. Yeah. <laughs> That's I, thought, I, I thought you were going to go the Bob Backlund route where he used to just read the dictionary and, <laughs> and memorize words. Uh, really, really quick fun fact. Uh, the one school fight I ever got into growing up was ended very shortly because I decided to use the then WWF champion submission hold. Uh, 
the crossface chicken wing, aka Bob Backlund's. And it freaked the kid out so much that he uh, just kind of jumped up and ran away. And uh, my friend, my friend Dan came from backup. We looked at each other. It's just kind of like, is that it? Is this what a fight is? Okay, we're out. And just left. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Sorry, anyways, uh, again, going off tangent. No, it's fine. Um, we see a brief shot of the uh, the Luddites have the TARDIS on a cart. And, and we're back with Perry saying she thought the Master was dead. And he, he says, I'm very much alive. Meanwhile, your erstwhile mentor is about to, I believe your modern, modern expression is, snuff the candle. And <gasps> the, Yeah. The yeah. I've never I've never heard that one myself. And the doctor's laid there strapped to this thing, says, Snuff the candle. You always did like style, and Amy just snaps back at him, style is hardly the prime characteristic of your new regeneration. <laughs> and the Rani's just stood there in the back and just once again makes it all by saying, Stop squabbling and get on with it. Yeah, I'm with the Rani on that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, abso- absolutely. In- Although I believe I, I don't know if it was meant to be a joke. I took it as a joke that he was supposed to be say snuff it like he's going to snuff it as in he's going to die but then just went with the full length phrase snuffing the candle it's like no it's not it, it, the the phrase isn't having intercourse with a canine it's screwing the pooch it's very specific <laughs> use the right words so i thought they were making a joke there but maybe not i don't know <laughs> Yeah, yeah so it's, it's a weird turn of phrase they use, isn't it? Um, but in, in true master fashion, he can't just do things simply and quickly. He has a score to settle with Perry first, because the last time he saw her, she could have saved him, and she didn't. Um, the Rani basically tells him to stop, and the Doctor thanks her, but Rani just wants to have is the chemical in her brain. <laughs> <laughs> and the Doctor's kind of nonplussed by this, and, and, the, and the Rani says, well, no comment, Doctor. And he says... I can't bear it. A hyperactive Perry, too ghastly to contemplate. And I'm just there thinking, he's strapped to a table, going to be subjected to God knows what. Perry's going to have a brain harvested and probably ultimately killed. And now's the time he's choosing to be a Saki dickhead. Yep. (laughs) And and the best of it, Perry doesn't understand what's going on. She is terrified. And the master's just like, oh, it's just a sense of humour. Yeah. <laughs> Again, the interactions, I think, between the Rani, the Doctor and the Master sometimes are a bit over the top, aren't they? Mm-hmm. They're a bit too... Uh, they don't need to be as wordy. They don't need to be as grandiose or, or grandiose, whatever. Do you know what I mean? they Gra- don't need grandiose. To be grandiose, there <laughs> we go. Oh, I can't even get that wordy myself. Look. They can't. They don't need to be that, that over the top, do they, and, and flamboyant. It, you can restrict it down a touch and get to the point quicker, potentially. Mm. Yeah, it's it's and it's, it comes into it when the sort of explaining the plan here because we finally get the big reveal for the master's master plan, if you like. Um, the doctor says that it's perverting the course of history because the master is going to use the Rani's uh, sort of bag of tricks to get all the geniuses that are coming to this meeting on side. So your George Stevensons, you know your Faradays, your Davies, whatever, to basically make the entire Earth into. I'm assuming one big warship. Mm, yeah, I think so. Yeah, which you know, fair enough. That's it, it's a goal. The Daleks yeah. already tried it in an in an episode that we were covering with the with the first Doctor, but you know, mm-hmm. the Master might do it. Um, 
You can't um, fault the guy's ambition, can you? It's, it's, it's dreaming big. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah there's one, one thing to be said for the master, he's a dreamer. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess so. <laughs> You're not wrong. I, I just, I have a quick, like, this seemed like such an odd time period to choose in order to gather all of the finest minds of that specific time period. I don't know, maybe there's some sort of, I don't know, trying to kayfabe it that the master just uh, uh, calculated that this was the best time to pull this specific type of plan off. But I couldn't help shake the, uh, like, yes, the Industrial Revolution was hugely important, um, but you didn't want to go to the 50s when you had, like, scientists inventing atom bombs, or at least the atom bombs being tested. Like, why this time frame specifically? But I will never know because it's not really explained. It's cheap. It was cheaper to produce and, and make than it would be for, uh, <laughs> for the, it would be for the fifties and atomic bombs, and then then we just have a lot of stock footage of mushroom clouds. Well, I mean, that's now that's the real answer. But like in universe, my I was you know I was trying to put my brain inside there. Like, hmm, I wonder why not. He probably picked the master would have picked it because he knows how much the doctor admires George Stevenson, and therefore for the doctor to see one of his I suppose heroes bent to the will of the master will be sort of delicious revenge for for the master. Now there is the William Regal esque explanation. Thank you very much. You're so full of shit, Dan. I, uh, do you know what? <laughs> I should I should be applauded because I pulled that all out of my ass and I didn't even stand up. <laughs> Um, but anyway, <laughs> speculate, speculation aside, um, we hear a beeping on, on the Rani's monitor and it shows the TARDIS being taken. And the Doctor quite cleverly calls it an optical illusion and that the Rani's uh, rigged the monitor uh, to show what's what's happening in the, in the mind, in somebody's mind instead of in reality to try and sh- sort of sow some discord between the two, which I thought was a great little point. And basically in the sort of clamour that follows this, uh, the Doctor and Perry... Um, end up getting away, um, and we, <laughs> just the, the end of. Oh, sorry, I'm getting, I'm getting confused with the end of this episode and uh, and the start of the next. Uh, let me just go back in my notes here. Do, do sorry about this jumping the gun. No, no problem. Yeah. It's it's the moment where uh, suddenly Kevin Dunn is the editor of the last thirty seconds yes. of the first episode, as there is so many jump cuts. I assume to kind of hide how I would like to hope they were trying to make this the same as possible, because that is Colin Baker going down the hill. Like it's not a stunt person. You actually get full on camera shots that were like on the cart, mm. uh, showing that it's him going down the hill while his arms are, are tied down. Um, I, I thought that was interesting that he was basically doing his own stunt. Yeah. But, wow, the jump cuts were so noticeable, and it very, very Kevin Dunn esque, where you know, you almost feel dizzy as you're watching it. Yeah, they really were. And it, the uh, the masters had Perry wheel the Doctor outside to witness the Luddites throwing the TARDIS into the pit, um, and then the do- the Doctor kicks the Master's weapon away. I thought he kicked him in the nuts initially, um, but <laughs> he, t- he tells Perry to push. 
and she does. She just pushes him forward, and he starts comedically rolling down the hill and screaming, "Other way!" As <laughs> Perry as Perry struggles to run after him, and the doctor's struggling against the restraints. The uh, <laughs> just the doctor then stops. The luddites grab him, and he, he thinks he's saved, but they stick him on a minecart and just shove, and it, as it heads towards another open pit, and and that's where the doctor died. Exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's I, a shame. I, I, I just love Rob for giving us that line to end the end the first part. So, and whenever there's a cliffhanger, part two opens up with the Doctor hurtling on the uh, on the minecart to the uh, to the open pit, and somebody diverts him to safety. But the Luddites are storming Ravensworth, and it's all still very Kevin Dunn. Um, the Doctor's remarks that he's, he's rather cramped because of the straps, and we've got this guy looming over him that would be, and, he's, and the bloke's just there saying admiring the metal that it's made of. Does that know which foundry it were forged in? And it turns out this is George Stevenson. And the doctor's thrilled and they're shaking hands and he's still not let him up. And he's just admits to being distracted by the metal and what it was and, and you know, the engineering nerd inside of him. Uh, so we finally have George Stevenson. And I believe, I believe he had quite magnificent sideburns as well. He did. He did. A good, good week for sideburns. Yeah, uh, great, great display of... Uh, <laughs> facial hair isn't it yeah good yeah. work good work uh, <laughs> in the meantime ravensworth and his men have, have sort of rallied and seen off the luddites and the, the ones to find it re-establishing order basically in the, in the village and you know trying to root out where they've gone and um, there's a hidden passage uh, that was prepared by ravensworth and stevenson the doctor um perry um uh, take refuge basically uh perry is very concerned with with getting the tardis but they're in you know they're in relative safety now with uh, uh with luke ward who was mentioned before and he kind of, there's a nice sort of little human moment where luke's asking if his dad um took part in the attack yeah and she knows what caused the mark um and luke wants to go after his dad as he would um the doctor sort of urges caution saying you know he's in the man he was and and stevenson in a, in a big sort of show of of confidence in luke uh, says to, to let him go. He says, you know, but he said, you know, that lad will, will go far because, you know, Stevenson had no education, but now Luke's his apprentice and Ravens, Lord Ravensworth has looked after him. And he immediately runs into the master and, and is completely knackered. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he gets fed a bug. <laughs> he get, he get, yeah. The, the master confronts him in a dark alley and forces his maggot in his mouth. He does indeed. Uh, did um, you have to say it was his maggot? Yes, I did. Because <laughs> <laughs> I knew one of us, Amy, would pick up on it. <laughs> What's even worse is he refers to it as a special sweet meat. Yes, he oh does. Oh, my God. It's so I... bad. My sweet, my special sweet meat maggot. Mmm, I have never wanted to be around anyone less than the master right in that moment <laughs> just yeah. mm. it, it went from these, it uh, looks like the alley's filmed at night as well and it's supposed to still be the middle of the day yes. apparently there was issues with this weren't there for the filming of this again something else i read read earlier mm. on on certain sites but you had certain parts of the show they needed it to be clear and, and nice weather but it's all being a great deal of this is filmed outside, isn't it? Yeah. And obviously the weather in the UK is a little bit um, up and down, shall we say? It doesn't always uh, do what you wish it to. So they were battling with rain clouds and, and darker times uh, as well. So they'd have to film part of a scene, and if the weather changed, run to another location, 
film as part of a scene there and they were filming so many things in segments because the, the the cloud cover going back and forth and so on that it really caused them loads of grief apparently uh, that makes sense. I feel bad for mocking the uh, mocking it being at night. No, I thought it was just continuity or or some <laughs> sort of bullshit. Um, but the uh, now that Luke is under the master's control, um, I did quite like the special effect thing, uh, thing they did with the eyes. Yeah, that was great. That was really yes. Um, yeah, that looked really good. That's aged very well. Um, but he's basically saying that the meeting of all the geniuses isn't to be cancelled and anybody who tries to stop it must be destroyed. And this is after the, he's reeled off the list of names again and also chucked in the uh, uh, the name of uh, Eisenbad Brunel, who's another one of the great uh, you know the great engineers of the uh, the Industrial Revolution. Which th- There was so much scope here to have all these people turn up, at least in sort of a cameo, you know, to have it have something happen there. But obviously, you know, budget and... Mm. Etc. Prevented it, which is a, uh, which is a bit of a shame. Now, um, is is this a meeting that actually happened in real life? I don't honestly know. My uh, my history isn't isn't that good. Um, I'm not sure about that either. It could well have done, but um, this is, you know, this is sort of up north, and <laughs> at, the, at the time, at the time, um, obviously, you know, the railways weren't weren't fully operational yet because George Stevenson hasn't invented the, you know, hasn't done, hasn't oh, invented true. the locomotive or the steam powered locomotive. And, um, and Brunel was all the way down in, uh, in Portsmouth. He, well, he was born in Portsmouth and spent a lot of his time in London. So travel up there would have taken, you know, taken quite a while and, and been potentially difficult, you know, especially getting, you know, 20 people from all over the country to, uh, to get in one place. So I'll, if I remember, I'll have a look, but I'm uh, I'm not hundred percent certain. Yeah, and even getting the uh, communication out there, um, it would be a, you know another time. Like it's not like you can go to meetup.com at this period in time and just be like, "Hey lads, <laughs> you y'all want to come down for a pint and talk engineering?" Um, <laughs> I'll get the Tobies in. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but anyway, we cut there, and the doctor's finally getting to nerd out about engineering with Stevenson. <laughs> and Stevenson's explaining that the key is more power and speeds of 15 or even 20 miles per hour will be possible. <sighs> My goodness. That's, 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 you know, tearing away, isn't it? It's, it's faster than some Northern Rail trains go at the minute, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, God. I won't go on an infrastructure ramp, but anyway. Uh, Perry saying, uh, keeping everybody on track, saying there's a more pressing problem. Um, the Doctor has to drag himself away from uh, from Stevenson. Um, Luddites try to ambush them. They swing, uh, they grab Perry and swing uh, some uh, bits of wood on a, on a chain at the Doctor, who... who jumps out of the way as Perry's been held at gunpoint. She escapes and goes looking for him, thinks he's gone in the water. And uh, he just sort of strolls up and says that, oh my, you're messing up your pretty dress. And very condescendingly says that he used his peripheral vision to uh, to avoid danger. And like dickhead. Peripheral vision, as uh, he uh, enunciated on the first two syllables, like, oh. Also, I refuse to believe that that version of the doctor could have dodged or jumped out of the way. I no. It doesn't come across as the most coordinated. No. <laughs> yeah, I don't think athletics would have been high on his his CV. To be honest, I, I think that was a bit of a. Obviously, it was needed for the plot, wasn't it? But it didn't <laughs> quite. It didn't quite work for me. No, no it's, I. Sorry, carry on. Oh, uh, no! Uh, like I immediately pointed at the screen and went, "No, no." <laughs> 
<laughs> it's not like um, it's not like when Matt Smith when they have Matt Smith playing football, but Matt Smith genuinely was on the verge of being a professional footballer at one point in his life. So you know that's using an existing skill of the actor. Just some yeah, like I say, something tells me Colin Baker isn't doing like you know backflips and, and like high jumps and God knows yeah. what. Isn't it? Doesn't come across as a gymnast. No, definitely no, not. not definitely not. <laughs> um, we're uh, we're back with the master and the rani, and she, the way she greets him every time, says, "At last, you're back, you incompetent egoist. Now give me my file." <laughs> she is not a fan, is she? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> He's the master again, slimish, and I thought you were waiting for me. And she says, "If I weren't desperate, I'd put light years between us." And he's, she says, you know, it's all the more reason for him to keep the file in. And she's warning him that he'll play that card once too often. You know, she might just cut her losses and, and bugger off. Um, and he, again, he's pushing this this plan of his to get the, you know, the 20 big engineering minds to, to control them and harness their genius. And this planet becomes the harbour for the greatest power in the universe. And the Rani points out that she already rules a planet. Uh, what was it called, Si? Uh, Raniville. <laughs> Maya Simeagoria so she's not interested um, and again it's just a wobble on, on the Rani's part and is she going to help or isn't she um, and basically she, she comes round to it and the master makes the second mark of the Rani comment um, as she kills two of the guards Mm, yes and again it shows the ruthlessness I suppose doesn't it of, of the Rani's oh, we don't need these no more zap zap they're gone yeah pretty much done, done what I needed them to do that's it hit yeah. the off switch um, entirely entirely disposable is how she sees basically anyone or anything not directly involved in her plan mm, yeah which which a lot of you know the best villains are like that aren't they that kind of mm. that, that dark edge to them yeah, and it, and it follows that sh- it follows that show don't tell thing that, I, that I've banged on about quite a lot in the you know modern times with with Jodie Whittaker a lot of it was tell don't show and like beating you around the head with with the point. This especially with the Rani, it, it's it, it leads you to that conclusion. It, it put plants the seed in your mind. It doesn't just you know it's it's not just whacking you around the chops. And I always need to see even in it could be the worst thing I've ever watched. I will always prefer things that way. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Jack Ward's been captured. Uh, he threatens Ravensworth, but gets a gun pointed at him, and that's the end of that segment. We are uh, again a little bit Kevin Dunny. Um, <laughs> Luke reports to Stevenson, um, saying that Ravensworth said nothing because Stevenson was going to try and uh, get the uh, get the meeting cancelled. Stevenson saying, oh, I should have gone myself, and he gets his coat. But Luke says, oh, no, I'll fetch him over here. And it, as Luke leaves, you just got Stevenson just going, hey, that's a real thoughtful lad. You know, just like, <laughs> just like, just like a real, like, that's my boy moment, you know. Mm. <laughs> if he only knew. Um, Ravensworth runs into Luke, and he wants to see Stevenson about the meeting. Uh, Luke diverts him from the workshop and says that uh, Stevenson's in the pit arranging the demonstration for the visitors. But Ravensworth also wants the meeting called off. Um, but obviously Luke's acting on the orders from the master to keep it going. Um, St- Luke says Stevenson doesn't see the danger, just wants the opportunity to show off his new engine. Um, all the while, he's, he's got a weapon nearby and, and just seeing if uh, if Ravensworth goes along with it because he's preparing to kill him. 
which you know adds a bit of peril to the uh, to the whole scene. Um, but Ravenson, Ravenson, Ravensworths, trusting Stevenson wins him over. Stupid English and the stupid long surnames. <laughs> uh, the Doctor and Perry are uh, back in the bathhouse, uh, sort of returning to the scene of the crime, as it were. Um, Perry is insistent that they should retrieve the TARDIS, but the Doctor won't be uh, won't be distracted from what he's doing. Uh, he's sure the Master and the, the Rani and the Master won't be there, and he comes out with a quote: uh, "Cowards die many times before their deaths. The valiant, the valiant never taste of death but once." And Perry sort of goes back and says, what about your other favourite quote? Discretion is the better part of valour. Meaning, can we get the fuck out of here? Mm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And, it, uh, and uh, the Doctor does use that quote quite often, doesn't it? I mean, I remember Colin Baker saying it in a story that we've covered, Dan, I think. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think it was, it must have been Attack of the Cybermen, so it's completely blanked out of my mind. Okay. <laughs> I, 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 I'm pretty sure, certain that that is a phrase that uh, he does use repeatedly. Um, they they do make a point. Uh, it almost kind of became a part of him uh, or his personality, where people kind of um, check kind of check him on things using the words he himself said. Mm. Um, and this is just another one of those moments. Um, this also, I also have written down here that. Um, I think the counter for the doctor telling Perry that he'll explain later uh, is around one or two, but will grow rapidly as this episode goes on. Yeah, so that seems yeah. to be a thing that he says a lot, doesn't it? I'll tell you later, or, or not, no time now, Perry, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's it's kind of annoying because we're sat, we're sat there as the audience going, no, but I want to know. Come yes. fucking spill the beans a little bit here, please. But you know, we never get it, but that, that is coming to them later on. Um, the Doctor finds the, the switch and opens the room up and they find the bodies and Perry blames the Master, but the Doctor surmises it's more like the Rani. And he suspects that a uh, that a trap has been laid. Uh, the Master will, will ensure they've not gone far. And Perry's trying to figure out what's going on with the with the brain chemical and all of that and saying that she, the Master... Oh, the doctor saying that she doesn't necessarily have a conscience. She just sees people as walking heaps of chemicals, which you know we've already seen before, and it's nice to have that uh, nice to have that sort of confirmed. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. me- meanwhile, the master and, and the Rani are having a, a bit of a bicker down uh, down the pit, um, and she's basically just telling him to bugger off because he's asking where Tardis is, and she's saying it's performing a much more important function. And this is this is all sort of leading up to the doctor finding a, a painting in this room and he attaches like a little string to it. I don't know if it, it, it kind of looks like it's from a yo-yo. I'm not sure what it was to be fair. I really don't, I couldn't make out what that was. It looked like a string from like a, a steampunk um, yo-yo. It was very bizarre. But I he, had, I had no idea. I looked at, I like rewound that a couple of times and got nothing. I, it, it looks like he was holding a ball and there's almost like a trapeze style, handle with two strings on it that mm. he just kind of puts on the painting and then walks backwards it's very what on earth are you doing it's we needed something to look a bit sciency <laughs> let's do this and it sets off a trap and there's gas coming out and this is one of the things i find really frustrating about this colin baker's doctor because i'm sure this has happened multiple times where he even though they're in imminent danger he can't resist being a smart ass because 
rather than just saying it's mustard gas, he takes the time to say dichlorodithyl sulfide. <laughs> and then he says yes. mustard gas. Yeah. Uh, I, I won't tell you how many times I rehearsed saying that. <laughs> uh, you know, eventually they figure out they can use the gas mask from the Rani's dead assistance. So Perry follows the advice that every single airline traveller's had in the last sort of 40 years, fits her own mask before helping the, uh, the man-child in the corner. Um, <laughs> sorts herself out first, which, you know what, fair. With the amount of shit this doctor puts her through, so get your own mask on first, Perry. <laughs> she yeah. she would have made Tegan very proud. Tegan would have been very happy with that. Yes, definitely. Have we covered an episode with Tegan yet? Yeah, we've, we've, yeah, yeah, fairly soon, yeah. She was in The Five Doctors, I know that. Oh, yeah. Yep, Five Doctors. Why do I keep forgetting the fact? I'm, never mind. We'll see um, her later on in this season as well, because we're covering uh, a story with her, Adric, and Nyssa with The Fifth Doctor. Yes, we are. Yeah, I remember that now, because yeah, um, you were really happy to have Adric in the uh, oh, uh, mix. Adric, Adric. just get in the fucking bin. Oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> We'll come to that bit... <laughs> yeah, okay, okay, yeah, let's keep going. Yeah, sorry, I'm just a bit conscious for time. Also, I'm getting hungry. Um, Fair. <laughs> you, don't want, you don't want a hangry Dan talking about Colin Baker, I'll rip him to shreds. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the, uh, the trap's gone off, they've got the gas masks, and they, uh, they, find, uh, they move the painting and find uh, an old wardrobe back there. The Doctor gets the TARDIS key out, and apparently the TARDIS locks are universal because this is the Rani's TARDIS. Mm-hmm. And I really like the interior here. It was like a creepy museum. It's so cool, isn't it? And and the the layout inside, the, the all the black, the chrome, everything about it. But also when it starts to, uh, I suppose, take off, dematerialize, whatever, the lights on the front, I just thought the whole thing was so cool. Yeah. It looks awesome. I really like it. I'd, I'd quite like to have... Uh, this is, again, another reason I want to see more of the Rani, because this TARDIS just looks so cool. Yeah. I actually have written down, holy shit, this is a fucking cool TARDIS. Why do we not have more of this? And it it almost felt like uh, the writers, Pip and Jane Baker, were like, look, if we were going to do a Doctor, this is what the Doctor would be like, and then made an evil version and called her the Rani. Yeah. Like, this is this is that this character is very clearly their baby. But oh, it also yeah. makes it a bit weird that at some point in their thinking, they thought they thought, do you know what? Do you know what would really sell crazy? T <laughs> Rex fetuses. <laughs> <laughs> it works though because it does come across mental, doesn't it? It does come across absolutely insane. Of all the things, do you know what it reminded me of? Alien, and you've probably never seen it, but Alien Resurrection. No, I've never seen it. When yeah. so. At the end of Alien 3, Ripley sacrifices herself. And in Alien Resurrection, which is Alien 4, then uh, that Ripley is a clone. But they've had to go through a lot of trial and error to clone Ripley properly because she she had um, an alien growing inside her when she died. So there's all there's all these like weird alien-human hybrid failed clones all in jars. Okay. And it just reminded me of that. It, it, but obviously with yeah, that kind, kind, kind of cuddly looking dinosaurs. Well, oh, it goes into a whole thing to find to find like a, a living Ripley alien clone on just on a slab, on like a, on, a, on a surgical slab, and it you know it's got like bit, just bits of alien hanging off, hanging off everywhere. And he's obviously in great pain because the only words she can say are "kill me." 
it goes oh. really sinister. It, it, and it's it's all practical effect as well. You know, you can see like Sigourney Weaver's face is, is like put you know propped up through through whatever mess of like Lovecraftian horrors on this slab. Um, but anyway, that's enough about a movie most people hate. Still hungry? <laughs> yeah, I'm starving. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, all right, let's sol- so the, soldier uh, on then. <laughs> the TARDIS fires up and leaves, and and because the plot needed it to, the mustard gas has already disappeared. Because um, you know, I'm sure the I'm sure Perry opening yeah. the door did uh, did wonders for that ventilation. Mm. Um, <laughs> Blows all free. Yeah, the Doctor's um, inside, and he's, basically the Doctor's figured out what we all already knew because given our uh, advanced knowledge of temporal physics as Doctor Who fans, we obviously all knew that this was a, a Stanheim remote control uh, flying the TARDIS. Of course, naturally. It was, uh, it was I mean, completely it was obvious. Um, plain as day. Yeah, um, you know, nice little bit of wee wee boo there. Um, <laughs> great line for the Doctor. <laughs> Did anybody clock the line and said, the Rani's a genius. Shame I can't stand her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he briefly contemplates being nicer too. He's like, nah. <laughs> I think that's where the, the sort of grouchiness and, and the edge to Colin Baker's Doctor really works in those moments. Yeah, yeah, it, it did work. I, I really, I, I chuckled at that line. It's funny even just sort of reading it back now. Um, <laughs> the, the TARDIS lands and the the Master and the Rhino come in, and the it's one of those classic Doctor Who things of just hiding around the corner. You know, if in order to foil plots and, and to foil the Doctor in, in a lot of these early Who's, it just involves taking an extra minute to look around. Yeah. Yeah, well, we had it the other, uh, on a previous episode, didn't we, where the Doctor hid under a table and so on with one of his companions. And it's just like, okay, I guess if people aren't looking for him, you can get away with that. But it is a little bit of a case of, well, you're, you're planning this huge elaborate plan. Just have a quick butchers around the place, you know? And also, you're telling me that an advanced space-time machine like the TARDIS doesn't have some sort of readout to say when somebody's on board. Yeah, or some sort of a yeah, some sort of alarm, some sort of uh, notice, notification, perhaps. Um, yeah, no, it, especially with the Ronnie, you know, souping hers up. Clearly meant to be, you know, even probably, you know even a better TARDIS than the doctor himself has. Um, yeah, no warning system, no alarms, nothing. No. And then the doctor overhears the Rani, um, called him, uh, dilettante, which I'll be honest, that was a word I was going to look up and forgot, but, um, he takes great offense to that. Um, the Rani checks the scanner for the doctor and he's not there because he's inside the TARDIS. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and they say about a trap and she gives him a, a jar of, things that will change the doctor's life and they exit discussing the plans and the doctor then emerges and, and puts a little device on the console of the Rani's TARDIS. Um, then it's, we're a bit, again, a bit Kevin Dunny. Um, we see uh, the Rani saying how she saw the master give the parasite to, uh, to, um, to Luke, um, Jack Ward's having some sort of fit. So Ravensworth sends the guard to find the doctor um, actually, do you know what I've forgotten? I needed to have a quick word on uh, on Stevenson. Um, let me just mark my space here. Sorry, right. because uh, the guy who played George Stevenson uh, is um, a fella called Gorn Granger, and he's not in any other episodes of Doctor Who. But he he is married to Zoe Wanamaker, who played Cassandra in uh, in the Eccleston episodes. Oh, okay. Oh. oh. 
Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. Yeah, I found out. That was just like a, a cool little little bit that I found out. I didn't know Zoe, didn't know Zoe Wanamaker was married, much less to somebody else who'd been in, uh, in Doctor Who, however briefly. Yeah, that's quite cool. Yeah. Um, the Doctor then exits the TARDIS and flips a coin to decide which way to go. Um, <laughs> promptly slips, nearly nearly falls on his ass, but finds his way out of the mine. Was was this something that Colin Baker did often, like flipping the coin to decide where to go A B? Or was it just this episode? Uh, I believe this is it from memory, this is probably the only time he does this. But okay. um he's a his character is fond of just the concept of luck. Mm. Um the the cat on his lapels meant to signify, you know, the cat with nine lives, that you know, he his mindset likely is, you know, no matter what happens, I'd I'll survive. I'm the doctor. You know, luck mm. and fate will not fate, but luck will carry me through. He's a big believer in luck. Um, and so that's probably what the coin part was, but no, I don't see I, I don't remember him ever doing that specific thing uh, again. And I also thought, and I could be wrong, but when he slips, I thought he kind of, or what was meant to be conveyed was that he slipped into one of the beams because uh-huh. the mind shakes a little bit after he slips. And I was just thinking like, maybe that was to set up something that does indeed happen later on in the episode. Ah, could be a bit of foreshadowing that I've missed. Fair enough. Um, the guard from before has found Perry and brought her back. She doesn't know where the doctor is. And she's sort of lamenting dis- and disappearing because she's got more reason to find him than anybody else. Or she'll spend the rest of her days prancing around in this ridiculous skirt. <laughs> um, Another she- good line. Yeah, it just makes me laugh that she's reached the point where she's equating what she'll be wearing for the foreseeable future to the uh, potentially the fate of the universe. Um, <laughs> just amused <laughs> me. Um, she's yeah. Rivensworth sends the guard to to find Luke. The Luke, meanwhile, he's going into the workshop and startling Stevenson. Now, I really liked what Luke did here because the actor there just is sort of going into the sinister side of things really well. Um. Stevenson remarks on Luke wandering off and he's saying about an attack on Faraday because it turns out Faraday is the engineer that was attacked who had the machinery on the horse and car. Um, he's saying he's not in the pit, the, uh, the it was overturned, um, you know, machine done and all that and reckons that Stevenson should go to see him and Luke grabs, Luke grabs a gun and you're thinking, oh shit, here we go. Mm. Um, Doctor and Perry are in the... Uh, Oh, the doctor rattles the chains to uh, to as Perry's just sat there looking sort of mournful, and she just turns up just completely unimpressed. She is pissed, isn't she? She is not. Oh yeah. Well, that was, right, that... Oh sorry. Oh um, I was going to say that was the face of a woman that has had to wait for her partner for far too long while standing outside the shop. And just wondering what the hell they're doing, and she doesn't want to go into the shop. Like that's that's a face I've both probably seen and made. Um, <laughs> but I, I felt that I felt that from that scene. <laughs> yeah, it's but there's actually a moment of a brief moment of tenderness from from Colin Baker, where she's saying, you know, she said we could have been stuck in the 1800s forever, and he says, "Do you really think I'd abandon you?" Yeah, that was quite nice because you don't see enough of that, I think, from Colin Baker's Doctor. But I think with the 
uh, I suppose, the lack of that, when that kind of um, almost warmth does come through, it really stands out because it is so irregular. Yeah, that's certainly from what little I've seen. It's especially in the uh, in his first season. He technically only has two seasons because they went on mm. hiatus for like eighteen months. Um, but I believe like they they were given the Doctor Who uh, production crew were given a whole bunch of things that they needed to do in order to continue on because it was kind of shaky whether or not there'd be a next season. So for the trial of a Time Lord, you'll notice that Colin Baker's Doctor is uh, uh, a lot warmer to Perry more often. Uh, and uh, the only other thing I remember from that is that uh, you'll also notice that Perry is more covered up clothing-wise. Apparently that was too much for Britain, what Perry was wearing in her first season. <laughs> I can I can I can see where they're coming from, really. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm I, I'm not complaining, but at the same time, yeah, I can see why the BBC would have had certain uh, mindsets in place with regards to that. Yeah, particularly in the particularly in the more merry uh, merry White House eras. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, I'm actually looking forward to getting into more uh, more Colin Baker. As I said, I've gone into it with an open mind and enjoyed particularly uh, Vengeance on Barros much more than I thought I would. Um, so we'll, we'll see what I think of this one at the end. Um, so basically Doctor wants to get to uh, uh, where Stevenson is, completely ignoring Perry's question about what happened to him, because of course he's got a, an objective and bollocks to what anybody else says. Um, she doesn't know, but Ravensworth wants him and he's in his office. And we see Luke sort of hesitate handing the gun to Stevenson that he picked up before. Um, which I thought was a nice touch because, again, you're not quite sure whether, when Luke's going to resort to violence. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And Stevenson asks him to go to Ravensworth and ask him for as many men as he can spare, and Luke hesitates again. And we get, again, another quite nice sort of normal thing where Stevenson just says, make haste, it is urgent. <laughs> <laughs> make haste. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I just I, I quite I liked that- hearing all the old Yorkshire stuff on it. It was it, very much my thing. I thought the uh, the actor that played Luke did a, a, a surprisingly good job. Um, I have no idea who he is, but for somebody that I had never seen before, he had those un- those unspoken touches, like you said, the way that he, the way that he hesitated and for how long. Um, his he he really was able. I am a fan of actors that can convey things without speaking. Mm. Um, it's sort of like the um, uh, masked wrestlers who can still convey emotion, even though you can't see most of their face. Um, so I'm always a fan of that. I was really impressed by the actor that played Luke. Yeah, it was a, a fellow called Gary Cady. I was just trying to see if he had any other sort of notable credits, but I'm uh, not not doing so well on the live googling that time around. But yeah, I'm absolutely with you. I think it, it was great as this episode sort of went on. And then we go from that to uh, abruptly seeing uh, the Rani and the Master in the woods uh, planting landmines, which is different. Um, yes. They look yeah. like um, weights, don't they? They look like, uh, when they gathered them up, <laughs> they look like weights from, you know, like dumbbells, just with yeah. a, an old-fashioned yeah. telephone pad stuck on the top. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which Sorry, is likely... I disappeared for a moment there. I apologise because it's getting to a sort of kids' shower time. So the wife just had to 
just like to nip into the room I'm in to fetch my daughters some towels so they can have a shower for school in the morning. So that's why I kind of disappeared for a moment. I apologise. No problem. Ah, no, uh, no I've got to be honest, mate. Didn't realise you were gone. Too busy gobbing off about Doctor Who. Um, <laughs> yes, I, I totally missed it too. I was just, I thought that this was just how it worked. <laughs> <laughs> um, but next we get the Doctor sort of catching everybody up. Roughly saying about how the Luddites have been robbed of robbed of sleep, but that then he, he hasn't got time to explain. Uh, tells Perry to stay and help, and asks Luke where he can find Stevenson, but Luke denies any knowledge of where Stevenson is uh, or his reason for leaving. Um, oh, sorry, that was just before, and then we get the landmines. Um, doctor into the workshop, and Stevenson says that he's had a message from Faraday that he's taken shelter in uh, in Redfern Dell after an attack, and that's where the Doctor figures out that Luke has. Luke brought him the message and that it's not safe for Stevenson so he'll go uh, Stephen offers, offers the doctor the gun but he says he's given them up as the bad for your health and tells him <laughs> to not trust Luke um, which I really liked it was just it was a very it was a, a very much doctor attitude but delivered in sort of a very Colin Baker way yeah I mean a few of the complaints that Colin Baker's era had from from, from Mary Whitehouse and, and that sort that that section that would complain about television on a regular basis was the violence in the Colin Baker era. It was deemed to be too much. And we covered it, didn't we? With, uh, I think Varos was one that we, we looked at where there was a lot of complaints about how certain people died in, in that story. Yeah. So mm. hearing the doctor then turn around and, and turn down the gun, I liked because that's more doctor than sometimes I think Colin Baker's doctor is, if that makes sense. I may not have explained that very well. No, I understand where you're coming from. I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, it's it's how you would expect the doctor to react, but with Colin Baker delivering it. Yes. Whereas Colin Baker's doctor does go uh, outside the box on the gen on the usual doctor character. A <laughs> I few say, times. I, I was just going to say he's a bit more bastardy. <laughs> <laughs> that also works. Yes, very very bastardy. <laughs> One thing that uh, I just realized, actually, though, is that back in the mustard gas scene, uh, the doctor, again, very little regard for Perry's well-being in the moment, other than like wanting to figure out what was going on, um, is ve very different than the man that would replace him, who had put his companions in danger, uh, Sylvester McCloy, but he was basically playing chess with them. Like, there was always a reason for everything. Whenever he did that, this doctor is just, he doesn't have the attention span for it. He's just like, oh, neat thing. Let's see what it does. Yeah, I think that's fair. Sorry, Sal, were you jumping in there? No, no, sorry. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> Weird. Um... Again, we get to another more sort of Kevin Dunny uh, section of the episode here, where Luke suggests a sleeping drug, and it turns out Perry's a herbalist and can make that. Um, the Rani's programming the minds and tells the master, if you value your miserable skin, uh, skin steer clear. Uh, Perry's saying they need something called Valeriana. Uh, Luke offers his assistance, and Luke suggests they go to Redfern Dell, which is where he, uh, he tried to send Stevenson. Um, the Doctor hears the Luddites and he's hiding. The Rani's then concocting something and, and the Master's sort of on edge talking about all the times the Doctor's thwarted him and the Rani surmises that he forced the TARDIS off course and overrode the controls. Um, the Master's changing the subject. Um, 
So if she believes in the plan and or if she believes it'll work and she says she doesn't make mistakes. And the master kind of points out, say, if that were true, you'd still be on Gallifrey. <laughs> yeah, fair <And> point. <laughs> this, but this really plays into the Rani's attitude of, of people just being walking stacks of chemicals because she's she basically saying that all experiments are subject to some sort of capriciousness. And turns out she'd turn rodents into monsters and she calls it a marginal error. And then she sort of calls her, her exile petty spite from the president as they hit his cat. Yeah. <laughs> That's why they booted her off, wasn't it, apparently? Yeah, pretty much. And yeah. well, the, the, the master the master points out that it took a chunk out of him too, and it was pity it wasn't the doctor. And she's pouring these chemicals on the um, uh, on the dinosaurs, which was kind of an odd thing, because they're back in the TARDIS. And then we see the doctor in the woods, just looking at the clearing where the master and the Rani had been, and saying that something doesn't feel right. So he takes an alternate route. And then we get Perry and Luke wandering through, and he's sure he's seen some of the Valeriana in the Dell, but Perry's not quite at ease with everything. So it's kind of building nicely to to something going on. Yeah, I, I like this because you've got the two characters of Luke and Perry kind of, I suppose, working together for want of a better term, but both almost second guessing themselves as well because Luke obviously has this evil bug in him and he's got an ulterior motive and Perry's not 100% sure about trusting the scenario and things don't seem right but neither is letting on to the other and I thought it was quite clever yeah it is I also appreciated that uh, so they're going after Valeriana uh, which is uh, I believe also known as Valerian Root which is actually an herbal supplement that helps you sleep Um, I have uh, I don't I don't know how well it works, but I know that uh, uh, during during times of insomnia, I've tried it, and I've seemed to gotten to sleep. I don't know if it was actually that or if it was just uh, in my head, but I know they market it at least here, Valerian root as like a natural, uh, uh, basically sleeping pill, uh, or they'll even put put it with melatonin in the same pill. Oh, oh, fair enough. That's cool. That's a really cool detail that I wasn't aware of. Yeah. R- random thing I happen to know purely because I'm an insomniac. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I, could, I could use some of that myself at certain points. Um, just a quick one on the guy playing Luke, Gary Cady. This is actually his second ever acting credit. Um, oh, damn. So for him to be so good that early on is kind of pretty cool. But uh, just for you, Abe, he actually went on in 2012 to be in an episode of the uh, sort of the reboot of Red Dwarf. Which I still need to catch up on, and now I'm going to look for him. He played a character called Dominator Zlurth. I'm writing that down. Um, but back to back to 19. Oh, sorry, do you want to say it? No, to spell it. Uh, just the last word. Yeah, it's a Z-L-U-R-T-H. Thank you. I I was not going to be able to get that first try. Thank you. That's fine. I'm, I'm, amazed, I, I'm amazed I said it properly. Um, <laughs> next up, we see the Doctor making his way through the woods, then we're back to Luke looking for a leaf, and the Doctor out of nowhere smacks the weapon out of the Master's hand as he aims it at Luke. And he says, so much for your arrogant superiority. Um, and he looks at the Master in the right, saying a characteristic you both share, underestimating your opponent. And he, he got the message in his hearing, and, and what obnoxious fate do they have designed for him? Uh, 
and uh, he, he looks at he's directing that at the master and he's saying well why me he says I said, uh, it can't be this, it's too simple, you brewed something much more malignant. And we see Luke wander into the minefield. Uh, the answer must be somewhere in the Del, because that's where they wanted him to go. And we see Luke get blown up to fuck by the mine. He turns into a tree. I didn't, yeah. clo- I didn't clock that first go. No, I had to rewind it. I didn't realise until they say later on that he's been turned into a tree. Well, I, when I- it happened, I was like, okay... That tree, where's that tree come from? And I was like, is that tree Luke? So I rewind it, and then you can see, boom, and he's the tree. And I was like, oh, okay, that's a bit, a bit random. <laughs> and the the special effects were almost too quick in order yes. to perceive it. It was it it was definitely difficult to catch. Um, but yeah, so yeah, Luke, uh, uh, Luke turns into the tree. It was Luke, right? Not Lucas. Yeah, it was Luke. Yeah. Okay. I don't know why I thought it was Lucas for a second there. Ah, it's fine. Yeah, so we've got Tree Luke. Tree Luke. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's it's just all very bizarre. And then the Master's protesting that it was an accident and it was meant for the Doctor. And the Doctor's saying, yeah, that doesn't excuse it. You know, like, you might be quite callous enough to justify it like that, but no, it says first you turn an innocent young, young man into your acolyte, force him to betray his friends, and then you do this to him. And the Rani's just there saying, stop being so sentimental. And she, again, it's brilliant. She says, animal matter has been metamorphosed into vegetable matter, so what? And at this point, I've just, in my notes, I've just kind of full blown given in, just gone, the Rani's purple eyes are gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> I got very distracted. I was like, she could be talking about anything right now. I didn't hear a word. <laughs> I like the way as well that the master sort of says, so the, the doctor is pissed because this, this, this human being has been turned into a, a freaking tree, let's be honest. And the master tries to explain it away of going, yeah, it, it is a bit bad. I'm so sorry that happened. It was an accident, though, because it was supposed to be you. Like, it's going to yeah. make it better. It's like... <laughs> yeah. But that, that comes into it right up next. The doctor says, you'll be telling me next he's better off. And the rally says, actually, he is. A tree has four times the life expectancy of a human being. Yeah, that tickled me. <laughs> is, yeah. is it bad that I thought that before she said it? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I might want to have a word, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, not that not that I would prefer that for myself or for anyone, but I like just be like almost like kind of expecting somebody with the Ronnie's mindset to be like, well, he's going to live a whole bunch longer. He's a tree. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a really good touch. Um, and the doctor saying they should have put her in a padded cell, and he may, he says uh, move. He gets him to move on. He says. Before I forget my abhorrence of violence and use this and, and use the gun, basically that he's nicked off the master, which I thought was brilliant. The karaoke uh, gun. The karaoke gun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, mm, yeah, the, yeah. If anybody can weaponize karaoke, it's me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> clear a room in seconds. Um, we see Perry just sort of wandering through the uh, the dell and, and narrowly avoiding a couple, couple of the mines, which I thought was brilliantly um, tense. Yes, it is because you know it's, it's again it's it's that that unknowingness isn't it because she's got this huge dressed skirt effort on as well and these mines are they're not very well covered are they let's be honest which in some aspects you could look at it and think okay that's a bit comical with the way that they've tried to cover them up just a few loose leaves and now we can see them again and so on Mm. but the fact that we can see them as she's walking around and this big sort of flowing skirt is covering where her feet are added to that i think 
yeah, there's no way that she would be even, even you know, with the the landmines in almost full sight. There, with that large of a skirt that's covering such a radius, and if you look down in that situation, yeah, you basically you're, you're hoping that there's nothing within like two feet in front of you and you and your feet uh, because you you just don't have a clue. Um, don't wear one of those dresses slash skirts around small animals. Just put that out there. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I don't I know if know. either of you were planning on wearing a skirt or a dress in the near future. Um, well, until he said about not wearing it around small animals, I was going to say I have the same vision problem with my beer gut. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but no, no, no plans to to wear um, uh, to wear skirts around small animals. Um, I was I was going to make another joke then, but I don't want to exercise editing. <laughs> Good. <laughs> <laughs> also, I hadn't thought of one. Good enough, sir. <laughs> I was just I just opened my mouth and hoped that something funny would spill out. Well, now I'm uh, now I'm fully expecting uh, if you ever do a fundraiser or if you ever do a Patreon that you will have a tier to work on or a stretch goal where uh, you'll both just have to take a picture of yourself in dresses. And I hope I've inspired that. And uh, I'm just calling it now, just in case it ever actually happens. Pictures of pictures of me in a dress already exist from my, uh, my brother's stack. Okay. I dressed as a school goal once with my football team and went to a gay bar. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. It was a good night. Brilliant night. Really enjoyed it. And I think, to be honest, my legs look fucking great in a skirt, so. Fair enough. That's what annoyed me, though, about the stag do. One of the guys on there, um, I won't say his name just on the off chance, but he, had, he ended up with this like lime green effort that his legs look brilliant in that dress. And I'm certainly, and I, I'm over here looking like £10 of shit in a £5 sack. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> ah, well. It's still a good night. To be fair, we've been drinking for three days by that point. So, oh my god! <laughs> oh, it was yeah. I'm, I'm not allowed to tell stories on uh, on any recording material. Uh, fair. That, that that injunction lasts thirty years. <laughs> <laughs> but back to the story. Um, the uh, Luke the tree manages to stop Perry from standing on one of the landmines, which is not a sentence I ever thought I'd say. Um, <laughs> it's just weird at this point. Even for Doctor Who, yeah. we've, we've actually got a sentient tree. Uh, the the Doctor and the Rani are sort of arguing philosophy and, and all of that, and the Doctor effectively has the Rani navigate the mine uh, the minefield for, uh, for Perry. And we get another moment where, uh, just before this, where uh, sorry, as they're coming back, where the Rani calls her worthless, and the Doctor says, "It's not to me she's, and you'd do well to remember that." And it's really quite threatening, but again, an indicator of how much esteem and regard he has for Perry. Yeah, exactly. And it's another nice moment, isn't it? And again, it stands out as a nice moment because you don't get as many of them, I guess. Yeah, and it's much. a very it's a very high pressure situation too. So you know you know he's not just like bullshitting about anything like that is clearly what he thinks because well, basically because of what he says to the Ronnie. I, there's no better way to word it than he did. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um at this point, the Luddites are running through the woods. The Rani goes to deactivate them, essentially. The Doctor stops her and sends Perry with the with the karaoke weapon to uh, 
to take uh, the master and the rani away. The doctor says, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll try and reason with them. And the next time we see the doctor, he's strung up to a giant, to a giant log. And they look like they're going to take him and, and, and cook him or something, you know, just put him over a fire and burn him to death. Yeah, there's something else I read on, on, on one of the sites I was doing my research on from this. And it goes, it harks back to the, the having to quickly, you know, go between location to other location, depending on the cloud cover and how dark it was with the continuity of filming outside. Apparently, this this scene here where Colin Baker is tied up to the pole, I mean, you can see the pole sort of swaying and 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 sort of, uh, moving around as they're walking with it naturally because you've got a fully grown man tied to the middle of it. Apparently, they had to have some kind of special rigging set up to support Colin Baker's back because of the, the way it would swing and bow. He was, you know, in quite in some discomfort. So this would mean Colin Baker getting onto that pole would wouldn't be a quick process. They'd have to, you know, tie him up and then put this special rigging on to support his lower back as he was hanging there as well. Because he's not a small fellow, is he? He's six foot plus and so on. So they had to do that. So it took quite a while. When they were filming this scene, or one of the times they were filming this scene, the weather changed. So the crew had to very quickly jump in a few cars, shoot across to another location, carry on filming a scene that they'd already started elsewhere. But because of the um, the extra rigging and strapping for Colin Baker's back and the time it takes to undo him and do him back up again, they just left him on the pole. <laughs> and, ac- and according to certain members of the production team, Colin Baker was just left hanging there for around 30 minutes. So they finished oh, this other wow. scene before coming back to him. And he, you know, there, there's Doctor Who just hanging upside down, effectively in the woods waiting for his film crew to return oh my god imagine someone had taken the dog out for a walk and just stumbled on that scene and there's colin baker and his bright yellow (laughs) trousers with fake landmines scattered around but easily visible yes exactly (laughs) i mean speaking of those those landmines though obviously they're they're walking through that site aren't they carrying the doctor on this pole and the two guys carrying the pole step on the mines and turn into trees as well. Yeah. I thought that looked bloody brilliant. Uh, granted, it's effects for 1985 with a certain budget, but I thought that was really quite quite spectacular. Yeah, it, it still looked very good, and it, it it managed to be to look good, fit the narrative, and be funny. True. So I'm, all, yeah. I'm all over that. I yes, really liked exactly. it. Yeah. <laughs> and it led to it led to sort of the bit as well where the doctor's trying to work his way off because there's a mine underneath him. So if he gets this wrong, he's he's a tree. Yeah. Um and you he's know, it's a tree. The, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean <laughs> once, no, because once, once, because... The, once, you, once you go back, you can never go back. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what would happen though? Because he's he's horizontal, so it doesn't matter what position you're in. Like, would he turn into a hedge? Oh, I hope because he was more horizontal than tall. Like, it, it fits his hair as well. He'd be like, he <laughs> turn into a little shrubbery, wouldn't he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Colin Baker, all six foot plus of him with a big hair, just turns into a little bonsai. <laughs> with a weirdly round sculpture f- to the uh to the tree yeah <laughs> much but, like yeah, his I, hair yeah i uh, i like the whole thing though here of, of just you know keeping his balance and, and getting it right and and all the rest of it and then he, he actually uses the pole to sweep for mines in front of him so we understand how he got away 
like just that little touch was was really good. Mm. Um, there's so much in this episode that goes unexplained, or whatever. It's just I'll tell you later or stuff like that. But to have to see him actually using that using the pole as a minesweeper effectively, brilliant. Just a little yeah. thing. It takes a fraction of a second, and we're caught up. We know we know how he gets there. Yeah, well, it makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, and and like. And like you said, it's very show, don't tell. Yeah, yeah. And while all this is going on, uh, the Master is trying to apologise to Perry and trying to manipulate her and blame the Rani, and the Rani's telling him to stop grovelling because no one will believe he's got a conscience. <laughs> and then uh, she uh, she gets the pendant off the Master because he, he tried to hypnotise her, and the Rani laughs and starts choking. Then uh, the next time, because this is all interspersed, it's back and forth, but again, very Kevin Dunny. Mm-hmm. Uh, per- Perry's yelling at the Rani, telling her to stand still, but the Master's then saying, she, you know, she needs the tablet for her lungs or she'll have a seizure. He's seen it. And, uh, I've just got in my notes, fucking liar. <laughs> 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 um, Perry says to get the tablet, but no tricks, and then Rani throws dust at her that makes her pass out. And then the next time we see the Doctor... Ah, so that was it. Uh, the Rani and the Master are moving through the uh, through the mines, and uh, the Master stops and says, "Wait, I refuse to run away and let that crack-brained freak win again." <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> like, like for a guy who's so verbose, that feels almost vulgar. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, um, but the Rani saying, "Well, then stay, but without me." <laughs> And he's saying he's trying to appeal to a pride, and she says, "I'm a scientist. I've calculated the odds, and basically, I'm leaving." And he calls. It's, it's almost like you know how we would summarize what certain characters say, and we would put our own spin on it, yeah, uh, and try and make a joke out of it. The Rani actually says a line here that sounds like we have provided her that line. She literally turns to the master, and I quote, word for word, "Give me the brain fluid. I'm off." Yeah, <laughs> but that was that was after the master called her an intellectual microbe and slave to a computer, saying that the doctor will be back. He won't. Uh, he won't abandon the girl. And you're right. She says you'll never learn. Will you give me the brain fluid? I'm off. Yeah, exactly. And he, the master just looks at her and says, "When I'm ready, and not before." It's like, oh, for fuck's sake. Um, I do love the uh, the insult, insignificant microbe. It's, Feels like the first one that fits, but wasn't overly uh, like over the top theatrical style, uh, like he's yeah. been doing most of the episode. It felt like he was just okay. Now I'm actually annoyed and pissed. You have actually annoyed me, you insignificant microbe. It just that that felt right for the master to say there. Yeah, uh, he actually he actually calls her an, an intellectual microbe. I'm sorry, yes, intellectual yeah, um, microbe. Either way, intellectual or insignificant, it works just the same. Um, it, it's just the delivery and the tone, because he's very short and, and just, like I say, just conveying that he's pissed off. Um, the Doctor finds Perry, and she catches him up about the Rani and the tablets, and they hear movement, and, and the Doctor says, typical, he's decided to stand and fight, why couldn't he just leave? And it's... <laughs> It's just like the, the doctor almost knew that had happened and wanted to give the master and the Rani chance to escape because he mm. doesn't want to get into confront, confrontation in case he has to kill them. Yes. Mm. Yeah, and he's also obviously. I mean, we're sort of jumping about a little bit ourselves here, I guess, but they are escaping now to the Rani's TARDIS, and he has done something to the TARDIS to almost win the day. I guess he's almost effectively sending them off to get their punishment. I, I guess, Dan. Yeah, pretty much. Um, 
the doctor says to Perry that they need to get them into the Rani's TARDIS. And this is the point we referenced earlier where Perry says, any chance of an explanation? The doctor says later. And Perry just really <laughs> exasperates says, when will I ever get later? Mm. <laughs> when are you going to explain L- yourself, you fuzzy head and twat? At, <laughs> least, uh, at least they give her a line to, like, almost say, okay, we as the writers also realize that we've used this too much. Yeah, it, it's a nice nod in a way. Um, I did like it. Uh, so they're basically hiding the mines. They spot the master. The doctor sonics um, some of the mine loose, which makes the Rani and the master take shelter in the TARDIS. Um, the Rani's trying to operate the controls, and it's obviously going where they didn't don't want it to go, and they start blaming each other. The Rani just punches the master at one point as he's trying to do something and, and interfere, and the TARDIS takes off as the mine collapses. Uh, the Rani. Oh, sorry. I thought I thought she straight up kicked him in the nuts. I hope she did. I, I to me, did. to me, it looks like a. It, well, I I'm pretty sure she kicked, and it looks like one that you know was probably you know to be explained away violence wise, like you know, is a kick to the gut. Nah, that was a kick to the balls. I I I've seen somebody do that before. That's what it looked like. <laughs> Lucky, lucky, lucky Anthony Ainley. Okay. So they realise that the speed's increasing and the master says, then reduce it. And she just turns around and just turns around and says, you asinine cretin, what do you imagine I'm trying to do? <laughs> <laughs> just calling the master an asinine cretin is brilliant. And it's back to that bickering back and forth between them again, isn't it? And it's, it, it's like an ongoing theme throughout their relationship in this episode, but it, it works for me. Yeah, it works for me too. I really I, I have too. a... I have a note later that that touches upon that really, really well. It's basically a joke, but I, I have I, I have a note for later. Um, but yeah, the 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 play between the two was wonderful, and uh, well, screw it, we already talked about the T Rexes. Um, yeah. Since they got, uh, I believe it was explained that they got. T- uh, the TARDIS was set to put them on a habitable planet. Where they can't, but one where they can't like mess with humans or anything. Uh, I have written down why did we not get the spin off Interstellar Jurassic Park uh, with the Master and the Ronnie? Because oh. I would have watched that show. Yeah, I'm me. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah, <laughs> B3. Um, I just, it's so ridiculous because we get the explanation from the doctor as, as him and Perry escape the mine, um, saying that he's rigged the Ronnie's TARDIS to take them at least out of the Milky Way or probably beyond the reach of most galaxies. Um, you know, conditions are very primitive in the outer reaches of the universe and, and, you know, it's not conducive to a harmonious relationship. So he's relying on them not being able to get along and therefore not control, the, not be able to fix the TARDIS. Um, but what's happening is they're going so fast and there's, because the acceleration time's acting in a very odd way and there's a bit of time spillage. So one of the dinosaurs start growing and growling and it just feels so over the top and so unnecessary. But again, <laughs> for the implications of that and the master and the Rani having to open a Jurassic Park on the outer edges, in like, in like a space, like something like, like, a, like something like Firefly where it's like space but cowboys and they've got to set up Jurassic Park. Oh. Oh, I want this. I want this on my streaming service right now. I don't need Nathan Fillion. 
<laughs> just rocking I, up with the Firefly crew just to see Jurassic Park. Uh, so many nerds would need to change their pants after seeing that. Yeah. <laughs> he would. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, I can't, if Doctor Who and Firefly ever crossed over, it would be responsible for several hundred thousand hospitalizations. Uh, I I have so many words about Firefly that are not inappropriate for this podcast, but yeah. uh, there's there's a lot of attractive people on that show, and I'll yes. just leave it at that. <laughs> yes, because otherwise you'll set me off, and then Sai will have to edit <laughs> another seven hours of content. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've already I've already written off the rest of the week. I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did 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 you know that when I came on it was going to be the nightmare editing episode? Like I do apologize for that, but I also oh, kind of thought it's no, coming. No, don't I, don't I, you worry about that at all. <laughs> I, I, I didn't know, but I really hoped. <laughs> I mean, half of my Twitter is and this bit's going to get cut. Uh, half of my Twitter is me making jokes about sucking dicks. So I mean, uh, it's kind of what I, I was expecting. I've been trying to stay calm. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's not getting cut. That's staying in. Yeah. <laughs> oh well, okay. <laughs> in fact, if anything, uh, that has to be added to your outro as we as we look to wrap up. <laughs> Remember um, at official ab underscore pos. AB oh, we'll pos. get there. We'll get to the outro. <laughs> just, just to wrap up the episode, then. Um, Doctor and Perry walk back to the mining camp. Um, she walks off to make the sleeping draft. Um, the doctor picked uh, picked master his pocket and asked Perry to take the file to Ravensworth she's got the brain fluid um, and she, she, Perry just goes I'd like to remind you of something you don't have the TARDIS and because the plot needed it Stevenson and Ravensworth have the TARDIS and they're speculating on what the hell it is mm-hmm. um, Stephen, uh, Ravensworth asks Stevenson if he's ever tried asking the Doctor a question and they both just sort of laugh to each other and they come in gives Ravensworth a sleeping draft and Perry says have you got any questions and he's just like there wouldn't be any point I'm not going to understand. <laughs> I, uh, I either won't get an answer or I won't understand the answer. <laughs> um, Stevenson asks the doctor for help with the with a valve and, and a piece of uh, in a piece of the engine. Um, the doctor sort of really struggles internally for a moment with wanting to nerd out with George Stevenson, but also not wanting to interfere with history. He says, and he turns around, and Perry is all of us at this point because he says he'll find the solution, and when he does. Uh, his invention will take off like a rocket. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Stevenson's rocket. And, and, Perry, and they, they show Perry rolling her eyes and saying those puns get worse. And Colin Biggs is really, I thought, of improving. <laughs> uh, and the, the, the episode ends with Ravensworth asking what they do in the TARDIS and the doctor just turns around and says, we argue mainly. And the TARDIS dematerializes and that's that. I loved that last line, or really that last segment with, between Perry and the Doctor, where it's just like, if you need to know what their relationship is, here it is. Like, straight up distilled down in 30 seconds or so. But that argue mainly line was so great. Yeah, yeah it's almost poking fun at the, those who complain about the constant bickering that the show had at this time, isn't it? It's quite, It's, it's good. I loved it. It's a nice little meta sort of joke, and, and it's it really works. You know, so many of those can go so wrong and, and, and come across as just a bit crap, but I thought that was really good. Um, so overall, then, we'll go to the uh, the Colin Baker superfan first. 
Uh, but your, <laughs> first, your, your first time, your first time viewing Mark of the Rani. What did you make of it? Yes. Um. Well, I remember uh, as I was watching it because um, I got an invite to play video games with my girlfriend, and she messaged me saying, "So, how's it going watching the Doctor Who?" And I was like, "Well." To be fair, it is not Colin Baker's worst episode. It is not Colin Baker's best episode. <laughs> but it's not his worst. I think you already reviewed his worst in The Twin Dilemma, if you were going to ask no, my we, opinion. We haven't done The Twin Dilemma yet. We've done Attack of the Cybermen and Vengeance on Varos. And I absolutely oh. hated, I hated Attack of the Cybermen, but really liked Vengeance on Varos. So with those two as my only sort of uh, points of reference... I think I'm going to be along the same line of thinking as you, of you in that it, it it falls somewhere between the two, but more to the more to the positive side than the negative. Agreed. Um, the especially uh, and by the way, uh, Vengeance on Veros is his best serial, so you do have the high watermark for Colin Baker. Cool. Um, and I'm pretty sure it's. For people that, like me, do watch Colin Baker's episodes, I'm pretty sure that's a pretty universal opinion. Uh, Vengeance on Varus was brilliant. Um, this this was okay. Um, hearing about the production issues, the weather, the having to change actual locations on the fly may explain why the writing weirdly seems so brilliant at parts but also really terrible in other parts. Mm. Um, but everybody worked with what they had pretty well. Um, I, I don't know if you do like a number or a letter grade rating system. Um, it varies show to show. If you, if you want to give a letter or a number grade, go for it. I, I, I'd say it's a solid B minus. Mm. Yeah. I, I, I would give it about that. It, it's not special other than the fact that it introduces the Rani, who also clearly is meant to be the star of the show. And uh, knowing that the same writers are the ones that wrote the other Rani episode make me think that the, they specifically were the people to write this character. Like, if the Rani is there, they will be writing it because that is that is their baby. Um, that's what it felt like. Uh, not that I'm complaining, because uh, the actress was brilliant uh, and is also gorgeous, and her uh, the Ronnie's personality was perfect for what it needed to be. And uh, yeah, I just don't get why we didn't get that uh, Jurassic Park spinoff with uh, the Master <laughs> and the Ronnie. <laughs> oh, brilliant! I'm uh, I'm just going to jump ahead, jump in ahead aside because my, if we're going to attach a grade rating to this, I think I'd be along the uh, the same lines as you, either a uh, you know, B minus or a C plus. I think when this is mm. good, it's really good. Like the Rani's fantastic. The the relationship between the Rani and, and the Master is very entertaining. Um, this is one of the better examples we've seen on the show so far of of the Doctor and Perry's relationship being a bit more fleshed out and making a bit more sense. Because I'll be honest, in that first episode we looked at, it came across as <laughs> as borderline abusive <laughs> at times. You're not <laughs> wrong. You're not wrong. It's one of those where it's good. It's it, it's very good. Where it's bad, it, it it's it's not great. But it was still entertaining, and I liked some of the sillier aspects. It was it it was charming, silly. Not roll your eyes and think, "What the hell am I watching?" Silly. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, what did you make of it, Sai? 
I think I think that's a really good way of summing it up about being charming, silly. Because there, there is there's quite a bit of this that's that's, that's pretty bloody daft. Tree Luke. Uh, yeah, tree Luke getting a bit of a grope in on Perry as well. It's all, <laughs> oh God. Yeah, it's all a bit daft. It. It's all a bit silly. But at the same time, I don't think it takes itself too seriously. We got some Doctor Who, especially in Classic Who, uh, where it's not aged well. And when it takes itself too seriously and you add to the fact that the special effects may not be, you know, as cutting edge as they once were, potentially it doesn't age well. And the fact that it takes itself so seriously almost makes it worse. This here, I don't think takes itself too seriously at all. So it's kind of not lost anything in being nearly 30 years old. Mm. The daftness and the silliness is, it is good in a way. It's, it's not too dark or too serious a topic for the daftness to seem out of place. And all in all, I would go back and watch this again. That's that's my biggest sort of, uh, I, I suppose, the way I rate these episodes is, would I go back and watch this again? And yes, I think I would. So uh, ultimately, I, I'm I'm quite happy that we watched it and I enjoyed it. Oh, I'm glad I picked it. Excellent. There we go. <laughs> I didn't I didn't do my doctor dirty. I I presented a decent episode of his. Uh, even though I didn't know whether or not it would be good. So, great game. Uh, it, it worked for me. It worked for me. So, there we go. <laughs> and it's, it, and it's, you mentioned the twin dilemma. I'm not looking forward to covering that at all. Ooh, I rewatched it recently. <laughs> good luck! That's right. I've, I've, seen this, I've seen the start of it. It's really mm. Yeah. Um, but, you know, thanks for picking this, AB. It's... You know, stumbling into quality is what we do on this show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's been great to, to have you on and finally get to, uh, to speak to you in uh, sort of in person, you know, as we record over uh, over Skype this time. Uh, but I, th- I think we're just about ready to wrap up. We um, are indeed. So I'll let side of the outro because he's better at it than me. Oh, I don't know about that. Um, okay, first of all, <laughs> AB, whereabouts can people find you online? <sighs> okay, so... Um... My personal stuff would be uh, uh, mostly I'm still on Twitter until, you know, Elon Musk runs it into the ground. So uh, I'm at official AB underscore POS for positive. Uh, so official AB underscore pause. Um, AB positive zero three is my Twitch username. I stream on Twitch. So twitch.tv slash AB positive zero three. And then uh, finally, also twitch.tv slash here's underscore Casper, H E R E S underscore Casper like the ghost. Um, that is my friend who does the weekly wrestling stream that I am the play by play announcer for. Uh, and basically, that's kind of that's kind of where I live online right now. And uh, thank you again for having me. It has been a massive pleasure. No, it's been it's honestly the pleasure's all ours. It's been fantastic. It's it's been great talking to you about Colin Baker and and this crazy, insane serial where he, he puts dog poo on his face. Um, <laughs> Dan, whereabouts can people find you, my friend? Oh, well, when I'm not talking about a, a time traveling alien putting uh, putting canine excrement on his face. 
Uh, you can find me on Twitter at DanGriffin21, usually tweeting about wrestling that's a minimum six weeks out of date or movies that are 25 years out of date. If you want to hear me a bit more of me talking bollocks, uh, you can hear me on Unbooking the Territory uh, with UTT Rob, where we look at the first and last of professional wrestling. Everything from the first or last episodes of uh, of TV shows like, you know, NXT, WCW, all of this stuff, to uh, two episodes of Baywatch that just happen to feature wrestlers. Uh, we, we do uh, we do cover everything. Uh, we also have a side project, Unbooking the Tankatory, where we go through the life and times and the trials and tribulations of legitimately the hardest man who ever lived, David Tank Abbott, and his career in WCW. It started out as just like a fun little thing and really took on a life of its own as we ended up now just now that we're into 2000 turns out that period of wrestling was actually quite good um, so I feel about that period of wrestling the way that AB feels about Colin Baker um, <laughs> but come along it's a good laugh we uh, we we have a beer we talk some shit and, and just enjoy or enjoy good wrestling or enjoy taking the piss out of the bad uh, you can find both of those on Twitter at UTT Podcast and at UTT Tank respectively awesome stuff always brilliant to listen to as well entertains me and uh, i can be quite difficult to entertain sometimes so i do enjoy laughing along with you rob and the people you have on the shows there uh with regards to myself and the show here there are two places that i suppose are the main you want to be following First of all, we'll look at the network that carries this show, SJP World Media, and that's on Facebook and Twitter, uh, at SJP World Media there. And you can get, obviously, this show. And if you're into your time travel, sci-fi, wibbly-wobbly goodness, we also have a show that covers Quantum Leap, episode by episode, The Waiting Room, which will be returning again very, very, very soon. And, you know, all sorts of other stuff as well. You know, modern day wrestling being covered by Mr. Benny Mac and the wonderful trio from Ohio doing regularly scheduled hostilities for us there. Uh, If nostalgia, when it comes to your wrestling, is more your thing, then you can check out Nitro Nights, where I and Scottish Danny are looking back on WCW one show at a time, as well as NXT Rise and Fall, where myself and the King Joshua Goodwin, the UK-based independent wrestler, are looking back on the black and gold era of NXT one show at a time. And we also have Chain Wrestling live on a Monday night on YouTube, Twitch, and in our Facebook group, uh, and also out on a Wednesday in the podcast version. So that's the network there at SJP world media, check it a follow subscribe on all your podcast players, leave us a big fat glowing review. Cause we're fucking awesome. But most importantly, you can follow this show on Facebook and Twitter at the doctor who pod. And that's at the D R W H O P O D at the doctor who pod Dan. I will speak to you again very soon, my friend, with whatever it is we're looking at covering next week. We can figure it out during the week because our oh, I already know. Oh, okay. I already know. There's, it's it's the bits in between this one because we're recording out of order. It's all gone a bit. Uh, it's all gone a bit Pete Tong. But after this, uh, we are going back to 1964 and William Hartnell, and we will be covering my pick, which was Edge of Destruction. Ah, wonderful stuff. Wonderful stuff. I will speak to you next week then for some William Hartnell black and white goodness. AB, fantastic to finally get to speak to you properly rather than just via, you know, typing stuff into my phone (laughs) and so on. Uh, Hopefully we will do this again sometime and get you on this show and maybe some others to talk some wrestling. I would absolutely love uh, either or or both. Um, 
I am a nerd, massive nerd about three things. The history of video games, the history of Doctor Who, and the history of wrestling. So I uh, kind of hit at least two out of three on that one. Fantastic stuff. And there we go then. I suppose all that's left for me to say is, uh, again, Dan, thank you. AB, thank you. It's been a blast. And to everyone else, as always, thank you for listening. I still can't believe you did dog shit blackface. <laughs>